exciting times. Today, we're in for a treat. It's Daniel Mann, YouTube spearfishing legend, and uh, my mate, Daniel Mann. I really enjoyed this chat. We get into a whole bunch of stuff. If you are new here for the first time, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. My name's Isaac, aka Shrek. I'm the host of the Noob Spirit Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. But don't just take my word for it. Here is a review from You Know It, Uh. Uh, in the US, he says, I've been crushing this podcast and really enjoy each interview. Best information by the most responsible and professional Spiro Shrek is a great host. Keeps me wanting more. Thanks, New Spiro Podcast. I can't wait to buy that recipe book. Talking about that recipe book, I'm going to get there in just a second. But today with Daniel Mann, we have a massive chat. We talk about Europe as a spearfishing destination, some of the adventures he's been on since he's been living over there in the UK. We talk about YouTube and specifically algorithmic uh, changes and some of the ideas and opinions we have on it and Daniel talks about how he's grown and made efforts with um, his YouTube channel. If you want to um, check out some of the best videos going, go to Daniel Mann on YouTube. Um, he engages with every single person that comments and uh, he he makes huge efforts to make really good high quality videos. The storytelling's on point um, and he's very, very good at what he does. I cannot shine him on enough uh, with regards to his YouTube channel, check it out and subscribe if you haven't already, and keep up to date with his um, with what he's up to. But at, right at the start of this interview, we get straight into a massive debate and discussion, really, about real guns, uh, their application and use, and safety concerns. And uh, it's probably about a good fifteen or twenty minute chat, and I really enjoyed it, uh, particularly with some of the listener inquiries. Um, shout out to Django Taylor one one on Instagram over there in WA. Um, but anyway, back to 99 Spirit Recipes. It's ticking along really well. And if you go to noobspirit.com forward slash 99 recipes, you can go and check out our Kickstarter campaign. It'll redirect you right there. Um, go through the campaign and have a look at what we've made here. It's a crowdsourced seafood recipe book from the spearfishing community for the spearfishing community. There's massive amount of recipes. There's more There's more than 140 actually. If you want to learn how to smoke fish, there's a guide to how to start smoking hot smoking fish. Um, there's a really comprehensive guide there put together by Jai Gibbons at Spiro Chef on Caring for Your Catch. I can guarantee you're going to learn something in this cookbook and it's going to inspire you and help you reach that next level and make even better meals for your friends and family. So that's the whole purpose of it. Again, if you want to go and check it out, go to noobspiro.com forward slash 99 recipes or you can go to Kickstart and just type in 99 Spare Recipes and that'll come up. Um, one of my favorite pledge reward levels, and I, we've moved three of these so far, is a limited edition knife pack. And the knife pack comes with two engraved victory knives. Uh, one's a 22 centimeter straight filleting knife, one's a 15 centimeter uh, knife. There's a high grade sharpening steel in there. There's fish scaler, bone tweezers, and it all comes in a custom canvas case. Uh, and with that, you get four live master classes. So I'm going to do like one hour cooking classes, basically, with some of the awesome chefs, Spiro chefs that we've had in this book, like uh, Jai Gibbons, like Spencer Allen, to uh, last week's interview. Check it out. Um, in this reward pack, you get the knives, you get the live master classes, you get a hardcover copy of the book, you get an apron, a stubby holder. If you don't know what that is, you've got to go and check it out at noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes. Guys, check it out. Thanks for all the support so far. I'm super stoked with how this campaign's going. Uh, but anyway, let's get into today's interview with Daniel Mann. This one's off the chain. Here we go. I love a good awkward story. And to go with that awkward story, 
Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation lawnmower trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. You can get hold of this deal as well. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code NoobSparrow in one word, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O in one word at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code NoobSparrow, one word. Unlock your confidence. Always use the right tools for the job. Get some smooth balls with Manscaped. This offer is a literal no-brainer if you're a Sparrow in Australia. Go to adreno.com.au. If you buy or spend over $200, you can use the code NoobSparrow to save $20 on every purchase over $200. Hook in, my friends, at adreno.com.au. Take advantage of a massive range of equipment. They've got flat rate shipping across Australia, hassle-free returns policy, and a price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that in-store or online at adreno.com.au. Have you visited neptonics.com? If you are building spear guns, I bet you have. They have got a huge assortment of top quality components for gun builders. Not only that, but they sell all sorts of equipment. They are the one-stop shop for all spearfishing essentials, particularly in the USA. They also have free shipping on orders over $99 in the USA. And a great deal for Noobs today, you can save 10% off your entire order when you use the code Noob10 at checkout. Go to neptonics.com, use the code Noob10, 10% off. Hi, I'm Isaac Daly. Welcome back to the Noobs Bureau podcast, where we interview experts, authorities, and characters from the spearfishing world. Today, I'm your host, Isaac Daly. And I'm Daniel Mann, calling in from London. They used to call me Nana Arms, but now I'm just plain old Spanner. Now I'm just another... Another person. I'm just going to shut my window. <laughs> all right. All good. All right. Back at it again. Round <laughs> three. Round, round three. three. Is, that, is it your third time on the Noob Spirit podcast? It is my third time on the Noob Spirit podcast. Well, welcome um, back. Daniel Mann, Noob Spirit community. This is Daniel Mann. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's got the world's best spearfishing YouTube channel. Just like we have the world's best spearfishing podcast, we only have the world's best here on the podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me yet again. I'm surprised people aren't sick of hearing me. Nah, man. I'm not sure if they're not sick of hearing me or not, but here I am. You're super popular and uh, love your channel, man. That uh, recent video you did on Reels is uh, very much in line with today's conversation. I actually had a message this week. Um, so, But anyway, fill people in on who you are and, and where you live in these days. My name is Daniel Mann and I live in London in the United Kingdom. I've lived here just shy of six years, a lot of my late 20s, all of my 30s. And I used to live in Brisbane, but I just moved here in 2015 because wanted a change, didn't want a white picket fencing kids like everybody else seemed to be doing. And I thought it would be for six months and here I am six years later. You wanted to go to like various parts of Europe and see like volcanic eruptions and film whales and 
do all sorts of cool film projects and collaborate with some of the best in the business. And uh, you've very much done that, Dan. Like uh, going for your YouTube channel, you look like a, a man of leisure. Well, that's that's the the fake world, isn't it? The internet. Um, that's not what I do all the time. Uh, when I moved here, my I was still doing electrical work for a couple of years and got very very sick of that and hassled somebody I knew from Australia. I met her randomly through some friends um, again at a curry night and <laughs> you know begged, pleaded, and said, "Can I carry some equipment for you? Do whatever." And then you know randomly, three months later, her boss called me up and said. Oh, we need someone to edit some stuff. Can you edit? I said, sure. So then snowballed. One thing led to another. I stuck around freelance for a bit for them and then eventually um, got to a tipping point where it was go to Timor Leste and film Blue Whales for a month or have a stable electrical job. So I hung out the the electrical pliers and went on that job for uh, a month and filmed there. Learned a lot about myself, about whales, about Timor Leste, and then came back and have been doing video work full time since. Mm. That uh, that roll of the dice that you had, where you decided to go to Timor Leste and film the whales, um, it reminded me of a quote that I read uh, that I that Joe Rogan talks about all the time. He says, um, "Most men live lives of quiet desperation," and. Uh, you know, and very few of us actually go and just have the balls to just go and do what we want. And sometimes I think it's about you got to take that roll of the dice. So good on you, Dan. And I, uh, I've loved following along on your journey. And Thank um, you. recent video, we, I want to get into this real gun chat. Um, oh so, yeah, straight into it. Straight into something controversial. Hey, let's, well, get, let's get straight. Shouldn't be controversial, it. but some people like to make it controversial, don't they? Mm, yeah, yeah. Well. There's there's some old school chat and there's some old school wisdom, but then there needs to be some. Thoughts about application and stuff, I think. So I'll just preface this chat. Um, Django Taylor11 on Instagram reached out and said, hey, mate, I've noticed in lots of your podcasts you strongly recommend using a float instead of a reel, which I agree with, but you don't really take into account that lots of divers, especially from where I'm from, see this and go, oh, okay, no reel. But where we dive, we can't actually use floats much as they go – sorry, as they just go out without a reel or a float, which is – actually more dangerous as they always try to just drag the fish up. And I've seen a friend do this with big Samson fish and it almost went really badly. I agree with you about sharing awareness on the safety of floats, but I think it could possibly be good if you highlighted to your audience that if you're diving in areas where a float is impossible, like where we dive in Margaret River, where the ground is really cavey, um, that you should just use a reel just so you can get to the surface without losing your gun. Um, sorry, mate, for the huge paragraph. But I thought um, it was it was really good timing, actually. He sent this, like, I think a day or two days maybe before your YouTube came out. And sometimes it's like there's a topical flavour of the month in the spearfishing world. I guess that's the thing that we should be covering in the Noob Spare Podcast and have a real frank and honest discussion about real guns. Dan, your video came out, like, I think two days after I read this. So I thought I'm going to pester him about this because we already had a pester chat to me about, about it, uh, about yeah. my somewhat I, – I tried to be quite – diplomatic and, and factual about mm. about real guns um bottom of the line if you can't afford to replace your gun um, don't put a reel on it because you can lose them really really easy great pun there that i didn't make in my video about really really easy to lose a reel anyway swear That's i'm not good. a dad yet swear i'm not a dad yet um <laughs> yeah so i think a lot of people will see people using a reel and go that's obviously the best thing for it but uh, i i use a reel mostly because of the terrain I'm diving 
here in the UK a lot. There's a lot of kelp. A lot of the stuff that I dive locally is very cavey and it's just very impractical to dive with a float line. But there's also other times where, you know, I wouldn't use anything but a float line, for instance, if I'm trying to shoot something really, really big, because it's just, you've got a higher higher chance of landing the fish and not just injuring it and or losing equipment if you you know use the right thing right tool for the job i guess um it's it's kind of like not using a you know not using a, a five wood mm. on the green versus you know or using using a putter at the you know the tee-off sort of thing for, for mm. golf if you want to relate it to some sort of practical application of, of another sport but it's yeah there, there is various dangers of using a real gun i've i've nearly lost guns a couple times. Um, I've had to leave one on the bottom before. Uh, I, ju- I just spent you know, three months making a spear gun, nice carbon fiber spear gun that I'd made. And then I shot and just my flopper hooked onto the bottom. And then my shooting line got tangled in the rubbers a little bit. And then the reel doesn't unspool. And I had to leave it there because I like air. And <laughs> that's that's the danger that, that happens with a real gun is people think, oh, I'll just yank it a little bit or I'll I'll hold on to it or I'll try and do something else or, you know, struggle a little bit too long. And if you've pushed it on a big dive, you know, that can be the the difference between, you know, that dive being successful or, or being a very tragic dive. Yeah. I think um, one thing you did really well in the video is you ran people through the sort of the basic setup. So, um you know, for a person that's float, float and float yeah. line, rig line, whatever you want to call yeah, it. So yeah. So for a person that's brand new to spearfishing, they're like trying to just work out the, cause I mean, we take it for granted. We understand what the different setups are when you've been spearfishing a few years, mm. you've generally seen all the different yeah. um, styles and applications of, you know, um, you know, float line or rig line and float. And then you've seen breakaway setups, you've seen real guns and, but these are all very different things for very different applications. Like, We've obviously tried to push the 15 meter, you know, 50 foot sort of float line apprenticeship because I think in the first few years you've got enough going on without having to work out the logistics of a of a reel. And then like if you have a a jam up and you and you're out there for the first time with a reel gun, um, you're already not really equipped to deal with it. It's a I don't know what whatever your spear guns worth, maybe seven or eight hundred dollars. Potentially going to lose that. Not 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 here. Gear's way cheaper here. You can buy a. You can buy Rob Allen for 150 quid here. Um, yeah. But anyway, let, that's uh, taxes, taxes and that sort of stuff. But yeah, you know, for, for somebody that's just getting into the sport, it, whether it's a, you know, $200 gun, $500 gun, whatever, mm. it's it's still something you don't really, it, it's not a natural instinct to let that go on the bottom, particularly if you know you can't get back to the bottom. Whereas, mm. you know, for, for you and I, if, if we're hunting at a reasonable depth and you drop a gun on the bottom and there's no current, you've got, a pretty good chance of getting your gun back. You're not going to be too worried or if you've got a dive buddy there to, you know, go down and get it for you or something like that. But yeah, like you say, there's so many different things going on and I've only just um, realized this in, in recent years because I've dived with some guys that are only new to spearfishing or I've taken some friends out and all the things that you and I think as um, what is it on your, your four points? Just self-evidence. Yeah, conscious, conscious, unconscious competence. Unconscious incompetence. They're at that first level of unconscious yeah. incompetence. Whereas you and I look at that and go, "What? What are you doing?" Um, mm. But I've only just learned in recent times about the things that aren't so obvious to people because I've sort of forgotten, not forgotten the things that I'm doing, but forgotten what it's like to not know the things that I do. Mm. And that, that's why I did make that that uh, that that video because you know, for most people. 
Uh, well, for me particularly, I, I think, you know, I, I, I just choose my equipment based on what I'm doing. But for some people, they don't know why they're choosing equipment and that can get them in a sticky situation. And yeah, yeah, I would, I would highly recommend anybody that's just, just starting out spearfishing first or second or third years spearfishing, just get a float and a float line and a spear gun on the end because you can't lose anything. You're less likely to get hit by boats. Um, and you know, if you do get into trouble, you can just let everything go and get to the surface. Um, when I used to dive with a rig line uh, a lot uh, off Morton Island, if I was doing say, um, or even still, if I do do some deeper spots off the Southern Barrier Reef or something like that, if I'm diving off Morton or any of those deeper areas, if I get to the, if I get to the bottom with the rig line and shoot a fish, I just, and I know it's not going to hole up or if I've shot it well, or I've pulled it enough off the bottom, I just let everything go and swim to the surface very slowly. Let the, the rig line go through my hand because I know that the extra drag of trying to pull that fish up is huge, especially if you're doing quite a deep dive. And yes, with a reel, you can free spool it, but there is a lot more drag, believe it or not, you know, holding a, a gun uh, with the rubbers on the end flailing around a, a, all these extra pieces of drag. I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you know, as I've seen, congratulations on becoming a free diving instructor, you know, the importance of drag when it comes to these more intense dives that are more physically demanding on your body and all those little one percenters and two percenters add up to a, a big cumulative effort that may, you know, be enough to mean that you have a loss of motor control or, or, or something along those lines. So yeah, I, I think it's just horses for courses, but if you don't know which horse for which course, go mm. for the very basic one. And, and I, like there's pros and cons to doing a course when you're starting spearfishing. I think if you, you know, hopefully you found an experienced buddy that takes you out, but let's talk about some of the various contexts that people encounter. So I think my personal opinion is like, and this is why we've preached it so adamantly on the podcast, I really feel like 80 or 90% of spearfishing contexts, you should use just that 50 foot, 15 meter rig line and float setup for probably 80 or 90% of the different spearfishing contexts that we encounter. However, like you've identified, you've got areas where there's heavy kelp, We've got caves and artificial structure, which I mean, like with caves and artificial structure, you're probably not penetrating into it uh, like in your initial forays out, are you? Um, I dive a really large pier um, south of London called the Brighton Pier, and I'm that must be at least 100 metres wide at its widest point. That I'm, I'm right in the middle there sometimes with a torch, um, looking, looking around for stuff and there's just no, I, I, I tow my float in, but I just keep my rig line. Um, I, I just use this somewhere to store my fish, but I, I just keep my rig line wrapped up and have it about a meter long and then just hook it off to the, the structure there. And then, you know, dive around with, the, with my real gun, but there's, there's no way I'd dive in there with a float line. It just, it just doesn't seem to, to work. But also to your point there, where you said, you know, 80 to 90% of your, um, Spearfishing can be done with a rig line, or you know the fifty, the fifty foot, fifteen meter rig line. Um, oh, I'm I'm thinking just for guys starting out. You know, they're, they're not oh, even right. okay, okay. entering oh, past oh, thirty foot. I was just yeah, just just nah. for starting out. Absolutely. Um, chances are you're probably not going to be getting too much deeper than than ten meters. But um, yeah, the, the more I travel around and and see the way that different people spearfish in different parts of the world in different terrains. Um, yeah, it just that may not cut it for some people as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's a good, I would say it's a general good rule of thumb just to go for, for 50 foot and a 15 meter float line. It, it's manageable, um, you know, and you probably, it's going to stop you getting into 
deeper water a bit um, inadvertently. If you are quite naturally talented, I've I've had it a few times um, recently. I was just in Greece and I did find some clear water, and uh, I got in, I, I having a new dive watch actually, and um, I was coming to the surface and I thought ah, that felt a lot more than twelve twelve point eight meters. Ah, that felt like a quite a long dive, uh, a big dive, but anyway, whatever. Yeah, I can see the bottom very clearly. And then I realized I was looking at the um, dive time, which is a minute 28. And then I had the cycles on it wrong. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, okay, that was 25 meters. Um, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> if, you've got a, if you've got a float line that's only 15 meters long, you're not going to be, you know, sitting down at, you know, 25 meters looking in holes and stuff for stupid fish. Um, you know, oh, that, I see. It, it's a great, it's a great safety, safety net, I would say. Because, I mean, some people that use dive watches love having all these depth alarms set up and stuff like that. I've only used the dive watch a handful of times, and I hate all those alarms. To me, it's incredibly disruptive. Like, one thing I love about the, the spearfishing experience is the quiet and the solitude. If I, yeah. if, I, if I do end up getting a dive watch, and, I, and don't get me wrong, some of them appeal to me because I love the idea of having that extra discipline and checkpoint to make sure I spend a bit longer on the surface – um, yeah. Well, but, I I also did a a blog post that will be coming out as a, a video about about dive watches. But um, I guess for me on the dive watch front, I well, the you've had a you've you've had a podcast on this before. But um, yeah, I, I dive alone um, yeah. a bit. Uh, just just the nature of the beast of, of where I am at the moment, and I use my dive watch to try and make my diving a little bit safer. And by sticking to stringent uh, surface intervals when I am by myself, particularly, um, and look, there is risk in everything, and I'm not encouraging people to dive alone, mm. but I'm also not going to spout some BS that I don't do it because mm. I do do it, and I would say it's fifty-fifty um, for me. I assess the risk on the day. Some some spots I won't dive depending on the conditions as well. I, I don't go to you know. There's one particular spot I really love diving, but if I go there um, and the conditions aren't absolutely perfect, I'm not going to go out and, you know, try and look for these uh, cod or something like that in, you know, in 25 meters. I'm not going to go do it by myself. I'll, I'll restrict myself a, a lot less, but um, yeah, I would say I, I like a dive watch. That's just me. But um, how, how are you doing a free diving instructor course without, without a dive watch? If you, if you can, oh, we ended up having to do it with dive watches and this is what right, I'm talking okay. about. This is where I'm using it. Um, there's some old school wisdom that you know about real guns and stuff, and we kind of stuck to the the orthodoxy around it. Um, and this is why, to J- to Django's point, that's why we've kind of stuck to this narrative on the podcast. Just like we've stuck to the narrative of always dive with a buddy. However, you know, I confronted that conversation, and we did that I dive alone episode, and had a robust conversation about how to do it. I think one of the the things that comes through in all of these conversations, Dan, whether it's dive watches, real guns, or diving alone is the need to learn how to do a risk assessment, which is kind of what you just um, what, what you've just alluded to. And I think putting some wheels on that um, is quite difficult though, because um, sometimes when you're new, you don't even understand the risk that you are, mm-hmm. need to analyze in order to make good decisions. But then a lot of the guys that do some of the riskier forms of diving are the guys that are sort of that they're starting to get down deeper and spend some bottom time there. And then that, it's like you, you maybe you, you think you're you're better than you are, and you you kind of become oblivious or um, sort of 
I don't know. It's Compla- like you develop complacent. You become a get bit complacent about things for sure. Yeah, and you just sort of become um, adapted to the level of risk, and you stop hmm. um, being cautious and pumping your own brakes, particularly if you've got the types of personalities that we have in spearfishing, which is you know often we're sort of fairly competitive, uh, predominantly male, or and the females that do this can be um, very risk uh, tolerant as well. And They're I think also, also very competitive, particularly the the Spanish and Portuguese women mm. that I've met at competitions. They're um yeah they're, they're just as serious as the men from from what I've seen. Not to say that any other nations are, aren't that I've that I've seen compete, but um, just I've noticed particularly um you know the Spanish and the Portuguese. Well, they're competitive at all spearfishing competitions, but yeah, that their female team is um, nothing to be sniffed at at all. Yeah, righto. Um, um, okay, so yes, yes. To your to your to your point, yes, men generally um, men that are you know competitive uh, tend to have a bit more. Uh, that is a trait of of yeah. some men, yeah, for sure. And then we add in real guns, depth, dive watches, all these other things, and then some people like to point to one or the other as being the causes of some of the accidents and the misses that we have in spearfishing. Um, yeah, and there, and there has been a lot of that, which I. Um, yeah, which which I'm sure you're you, you know you're aware of. You're you're you, you're out on the internet. You you see the things. You've yeah. got your you know you got your feelers out there. And some people are vehemently against real guns, saying that I won't let somebody on my boat with them. And often these sort of people are the ones that you can't actually have a logical conversation with about anything other than seeing their own viewpoint. So yeah, you just you you take take it with a grain of salt. Some really. people like overly um, simplistic heuristics too. Like they will say, um, "All right, nothing longer than a minute, and uh, nothing over ten meters, or something like that." And it's like, well, like okay, that's that's if that's what yeah. you're comfortable with, that that's totally yeah. fine. Um, and I would say everybody's got their own limits as well. And if that's where you want to go, and you're happy doing spearfishing. Perfectly fine. Absolutely. You know, if that's what brings you joy and brings you a feed and you're happy and comfortable doing that and that's your acceptable level oh, of risk, I think, full I th- marks go for I think it, in some ways, it. unless you're going to do a risk assessment, having these these ideas maybe helps you to be safe because you're not you're not making really much decisions. You're just going, this is the sort of diving I do and these are my rules and that's that's it. And I think that's okay. But I think you can teach people the, the big picture concepts, which is risk analysis and going, okay, so mm. – Walk us through like some real gun risks. Someone's getting in the water, right? And they're going to one of these areas where it's actually safer to dive with a real gun than it is with a rig line and a float. What are the, sure. some of the key factors they need to be aware of with this? Boats. <laughs> 100% um, boats not straying too far from your rig line, your, your float. Um because if you are still taking a float in, for instance, I um, just, again, I was in Greece in September, boats everywhere. It's just turbo boats because it's summer and the whole Euro summer has kind of been condensed into August, September, October because of, of COVID. So there's a lot of boats out in the water and I'm, I, I, Particularly, I wanted to use a real gun because they were the guns that I had because I know the type of terrain that I was hunting was going to be possibly in holes and trying to hide myself with very, very cagey fish. And this headland that I wanted to dive around had boats whizzing around. So number one, I just waited till later in the day. It's probably better to fish later in the day anyway. I find I, I love late afternoon diving because I can sleep in. I can get a good night's sleep because I don't have that anxiety about getting up early. Love an afternoon dive. It also 
limits your dive as well because it cuts you off because the sun goes down. So it's um, you know you can you can you go. I've got three hours to go hard. Whereas if you go out in the, for a morning dive, you go oh if things are good. You could end up staying out for six hours and be totally shattered by the end of it. Which anyway, um, I, I took a float line and um, and a, and a float and, and anchored it right next to me because I knew there'd be boats whizzing past because that's the risk of having the real gun is you, you're practically invisible. Now your example if somebody's jumping off the side of a boat not shore diving um yes there is the the risk of other boats but i would argue that having a good boaty and communication uh between you, your boat driver and and understanding the drift that everybody's going to be doing and i've i've done this for many years with tim mcdonald josh ball bryson sheehy i would trust any of those guys to drive a boat and find me i would trust them to keep an eye on me those guys were you know the greatest dive buddies i've ever had and they we all have this understanding of how each other works. And when we dive with a real gun and we're drifting near the boat, the boat's going to stay in between us. We might spread out, you know, 30, 40 yards between us. But what we do is because we understand that there's no visibility uh, with without a float line, we just hold the gun halfway up and tuck it under your arm and have the handle and the reel sticking out of the water so that you've got a half a meter long mast. It's a little uncomfortable for breathing up because you have to physically hold it a little bit more, but there's just one way of mitigating that visibility risk is you can see where everybody is a lot easier. Um, for boats, generally, if you don't want to, if you want to dive a spot with a real gun, don't go on a weekend. Uh, you know, they're, they're all the sort of risks you have to think about. Um, yeah, if you, if you want complete safety, um, well, not complete safety, but if you want more um, a higher level of safety, don't go and you're trying to mitigate boats, go when there's less boats or only dire. You know, if, the, if you're going to Hutchinson at Morton Island, Hutchinson's Reef, Hutchies, you want to shoot Oahu, you go there on a Saturday when it's a glass off. It's going to be a billion boats out there. You would be just foolish to dive it without a float and a flag and, and a rig line. Um, you know, you just got to pick your battles, I guess, on, on certain things. And like you say, that risk assessment on the day, go, yes, it's safe to use a real gun or... It's not to use a real gun, or oh, well, it's more safe to use a real gun in this situation than another situation. I mean, all all, all spear fishing's unsafe to a degree, but um, yeah, I would say yeah, yeah, j just just horses for courses, really. Like you just got to say, you know, is this a stupid idea? Or what what I'm about to do? Um, what could possibly go wrong? And I've I've been around long enough, and and so have you to realize. You, you see, it, it happens every. It seems every month somebody passes doing this this sport and then you know all the all the whispers come out about what's happened and you know if you if you don't i think it's you know, very foolish not to try and learn something um from those those tragedies and yeah i, I wouldn't i wouldn't won't go into specifics on certain ones but generally a lot of them do involve real guns so you know therefore there is a high risk of you know just statistically but um that's not to say you can't do it safely but um yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going. Oh, there's that, lots of there's lots of things. Yeah. I was going to say one of the other things that I have with real guns is, and this is even if you're diving fairly shallow, which is what a lot of um, newer divers are going to be doing. Let's say you're doing a drift dive. There's a mild current, and you're in like, let's just say 25 to 35 feet, right? And you know you're diving around cavey structure. Um, if you shoot a fish and you've got poor sh shot placement, or you don't put tension on the shooting line immediately. You run the risk of that fish mm. holding up on you because when you shoot a fish, their natural reaction, a lot of them, uh, and this is particularly true with grouper species, like, um, you know, any of it, they, they run back to the hole. 
and they're going to bury you in the hole. Yep. And if you've got even mild current, it's difficult to swim against and you've got a real gun, like it's just painful. You've got to clip off to a float anyway to make sure that, you know, if you if you can't swim against mm. it, you've got to clip off to the float. And then your float runs the risk of even getting thin. And then you've got someone's got to drop you off up current. You've got to work that out. And then you've got to swim down, try and free that up again. And it becomes... It's like you're describing my my life uh, shooting jobfish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I've, I've had plenty of blow-ups on this. I've had one that hooked up on the bottom with a real gun. I'm screaming at uh, Tim to, to pick me up, and then he said, well, what am I going to do? The other guys are drifting down current, so you just – I'm going to go get them. I'm like, don't leave yeah. me. <laughs> there's a big there's a big bull shark. Don't leave me. He's like, well, they're going to get lost if I try and yep. help you here. I'm like – well, this sucks. Um, I ended up just yanking as hard as I could and snapped the mono. But you know that's a bit easier to do with a float and float line. You can always just leave the float and float line and come back to it. You put a GPS mark and it's going to be there, sort of thing. Um, but uh, to saying that, if you're going to be shooting lots of fish around holes, don't use a double wrap. I see so many people using a double wrap, and that gives fish a huge head start. Anytime you ever see one of those videos where somebody gets holed up by a big fish, there's more often than not, a massive loop of slack shooting line there um, ready to for that fish just to get a massive head start before you can even think about putting mm. the brakes on. I went so far as to counter this with a 110 roller that I made you know, six or seven years ago to shoot jobfish with after that incident where, where I got holed up because you know I had the double wrap on it. I ended up putting a pin halfway up my gun to do a wrap and a half. So I did. I still got a little bit of extra shooting range to utilize the roller, but I didn't quite give it that extra two meters to, or meter and a half or whatever to, to get to the reef and bury me. And that seemed to serve me quite well. But having a double wrap on, on longer guns is, and shooting bottom fish, it's going to get you into trouble a lot. <laughs> yeah, so it brings up the same sort of point that you alluded, you, you said earlier, like it, um, only use a real gun if you're prepared to use the real gun. I mean, if you do a, some of these scenarios we're talking about, at the very least you probably lose your shaft um, and you might get to keep keep your gun. Yeah, lose your shaft, um, yeah. If you've got a really good crew, but it, like, again, if you've got multiple divers in the water and you're diving off a boat, it's just a frigging nightmare. Um, whereas the float... With, 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 with having four four guys on a boat with yeah. rig lines and floats out the back. I agree. <laughs> That's a nightmare too. To start, 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 start a drift. <laughs> I, I used to remember my formative years at Morton, at Morton Island having floats out the back and you'd have to, you know, this person's on that side and their float goes there and when they dive right. over and the amount of times is, oh, I was just about to shoot that wahoo, but you're – line yep. was caught up on my line because you swam over it. And I'm like, as if, mate, I was on the yeah, – oh. you know, everybody's had those arguments. Yeah. And I nearly had a punch-up with <laughs> I Turbo. I look, you, look on your face. You, you've had that, you've had that yeah, moment. Yeah, I nearly well, had a punch-up with Turbo. We were, I was on the bottom and creeping up towards this um, structure and I had these two cobia in front of me. They were dumbass. And they were sitting out in front and I was just slowly creeping towards them, like getting in range. And then I feel my gun just stop. And then I'm like, I look back up and the float line's just pulled out tight and it's jammed with turbos and he's angry as well and he's yanking me in the other direction. And the guns slowly keep no. pulling me backwards away from these KB. That was the first ever opportunity I had to shoot one. I was filthy. Livid. I got to the surface. I was like, what the f*** are you doing? And uh, we've nearly come to blows. But um, that was the story of a lot of our diving. <laughs> it, it does, yeah, it does happen and – even, even if you're not having someone tangle up, if you, I've been on many times where you sit on the bottom and there's current and you're sitting there waiting for a, a snapper or something like that. And say you're in 
you're sitting on the bottom in 20 meters and you've got, or, or 60 foot, and you've got a 100 foot float line, 30 meter float line. It doesn't take more than 10, 15 seconds for that line to get pretty taut up to your float and then it begins pulling the bottom of your gun, makes it very hard to aim and then you're getting pulled off the bottom. It's, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons. Um, but yeah, I guess just like anything, you just got to know when to when to use what or, or whatever you're comfortable with. And yeah. unfortunately, like, like you say, unfortunately, when you're new to diving, you don't know. So someone has to tell you. I'm going to point all these guys to your video. So if you type in reels on spear guns, do you really need one for spearfishing on the Daniel Man YouTube channel? Go and watch that. Um, it's a informative video. As usual, Daniel making uh, high-quality videos to educate and inform the spearfishing community. Just trying to give back. Um, I, I don't uh, know. I, I will actually not try. I would say yes, giving back. But at the same time, like you, you know, um, you probably get a lot of, emails and, and questions asking you, Hey, should I get a reel on my gun? And a lot of my videos, I, once I've typed it out two or three times, I think I should just make a video on this and go, here's a link. Here's a lot more than I can type out. So it's somewhat selfish reason, um, in one degree, but also because I know somebody out there's probably not going to lose their gun or, or, or get into a sticky situation because I make that video. I, well, that's what I hope anyway, that, yeah. you know, people just, can make more informed decisions. And I didn't, I didn't swing either way on the the debate. I, I've, I've used real guns and, and rigged lines. I do exactly the same as you. I normally um, take a screenshot of the comments or questions, and then I try and group them into sort of like, uh, like folders. And then as mm. soon as I've got like enough there, I really try and create these topical episodes, but um, I've got heaps sitting there in a folder and I haven't done anything with it. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel and Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifitting Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. Nubis, good news. Did you know that every pair of penetrator fins receives a protective layer of Kevlar 49 multi-axial reinforcement? Can you even know what that means? It means that it prevents chips and cracking. It means you're going to get longevity out of your fins. And that's exactly what you need when you're spending some dollars on some good fins. Visit penetratorfins.com. Get yourself a pair of reinforced, super tough fins with beyond industry warranty at penetratorfins.com. Use the code NoobSpero to save $25 on any pair of penetrator blades. That's right, use the code NoobSpero to save $25 on any pair of blades at penetratorfins.com. But Real Guns was an interesting one, and I thought it was good timing, so I thought that's why I'd chat with you briefly today about it. So, again, so do guys. You use a, do you use a Real Gun or, or if you're going out tomorrow? What are you going to use? Um, I'm at a different end of the spearfishing journey than a lot of people. I still, like, even if I think if you're diving off Brisbane, I think it's um, float, float line city. I think that's what you should start with. I think um, there's more than enough complication in spearfishing um, without adding the hassles of a reel. Like the, the the problems with reels too, and I've seen it recently with guys trying them for the first time, is that some of them think it's a fishing line and even smart people, then they, they're trying to like use it like you're using a fishing line from the surface. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You that's should fine the fish. When, that's fine when it's a mullet, but um, yeah. you try and do that on a 
Spanish mackerel and yeah, that's going to, gun's going to get ripped out of your hands really quickly. Yeah. And I watch guys learn the same lessons every time. So <laughs> you shoot the fish and it pulls line off the reel, which is great. You set your tension and your drag, head up to the surface and then you want to swim up current away from your gun and then um, pull the fish up manually. You're not using the reel for any of it. And then um, after you've got your fish up, taken it off, strung it up, however you're doing it, then and only then do you start to reel the line back onto it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, but, um, you if know. You've got re- if you've got really great dive buddies like I've had in the past, say you shoot something and, mm. you know, it's the end of the drift or whatever like that and you've been fighting something, you've got the fish in your hands, you're dealing with it. My dive buddies, Bryson, Tim, Josh, all those guys will do it. They'll grab your gun and start reeling it in because they know it's in their interest to get that gun sorted and back in the boat to do another drift. So if you're a dive buddy and you see someone's reel, you know, flying out, go wind it in for them because, you know, it's beneficial for you and it just gets you more time in the water. So, yeah, yeah I, I know that- what you mean. It's, it's with, with it, all the line trailing out, I've actually, and swimming up current, I thought that was a very obvious thing to swim up current, not have the line pile around you. But I had a friend here messaged me afterwards and he's been diving 10 years um, hasn't really done too much diving outside of the uk so you know max sort of fish seven eight kilos and he's like oh i never never thought about swimming up and all the line tangled around i said yeah if you do that you know if we're abroad and you shoot something big it's going to be a bad situation for you he's like oh yeah it's yeah. a really good point but for people that i guess aren't used to shooting you know 10 kilo plus fish you just you don't even need to think about it because I can pull just about anything here backwards in the water, apart from one of the bluefin. <laughs> a lot of the spearfishing stuff is monkey see, monkey do. Or, yeah. you know, or you watch, yeah, you watch a YouTube video or you hear it on a podcast and then you think about it and then you try and find someone else that's t- doing it, but you get part of that conversation, it enters your brain, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, I'm going to try that. Mm, and um, I, I feel like so much of spearfishing is like that. That's why we wrote 99 Tips. That's why, you know, the podcast is, is – um, you know, I guess the, the information's so actionable. Like it's very uh, actionable, actionable, super it, actionable. You don't know until you, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And, yes, uh, true. See what I did there? I almost was a play off your real, the real truth behind real guns. But you are a dad, so yeah, you've got, I've got an excuse. An excuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving to, moving to London, Dan. Uh, how do you start? Yes diving on the other side of the world. So six years ago, you moved from the bustling metropolis of, uh, of Brisbane here on the east coast of Australia. You moved yes. to London, the spearfishing destination at the heart of every spearer. Well, yes. Um, I didn't even think they could. I didn't think there'd be such a big scene here, actually. I, I started by what most people do when they want to go dive somewhere is a lot of videos and then I started seeing all these great videos of people shooting sea bass and gilt head sea brim and flatties and all this sort of stuff and then I realized it was in the Channel Islands in Jersey because I wasn't so up on my geography which is you know Jersey or Guernsey very close to France quite different well similar to the UK but you know a lot a lot more to, similar to UK mainland UK but a lot cleaner water and uh, more more fish um but in, in, in the UK, there is, uh, I just I just watched videos and eventually I got my dad to send me a wetsuit over, my, my five mil wetsuit. And then I booked a, a weekend trip down to a youth hostel in Brighton because it was the only place I could get to on a train that I thought might be all right for a dive and dived under this giant pier in my five mil wetsuit in 15 degrees or something like that. And that was well. the, a very big shock to the system. I shot... Two mullets. I still remember my first 800 gram mullet that I shot. 
and yeah. I shot a place as well. And the viz was maybe two or three meters. And as, as weird as it sounds, I was more stoked on shooting that eight or 900 gram mullet than I was the last Spanish mackerel I shot in Australia, which was, I don't know, 10, 15 kilo mackerel. I, I, I've wow. shot a few mackerel and just the elation of going to do something by myself on the other side of the world with no help. Um, yeah. uh, it's, you know, that can be a bit of a wanky thing. Oh, I did it by myself, but you know, no, I did, no. I did, I did. And, I, and, and sometimes that's more rewarding, you know, when you do these things by yourself and, and I did. So I was, um, yeah, super stoked. And then I joined the London international club, which is a club of, uh, people from all, all walks of life. There's South Africans, there's Italians, there's Russians, there's Ukrainians, there's Brazilians. We've got every nationality under the sun, um, I represented at our club and just a great bunch of people. And I decided to do a pairs competition that they were advertising and they did the mix and match service and they signed me up with the only other antipode in, in the group. Um, my good friend, Andrew Gom, and we dive this pairs competition together, did all right. And, uh, yeah, been friends ever since done a few trips to Norway, go diving around here. And, you know, when he comes to London for, for work, we always go out for, for drinks and, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, I just basically joined a club and threw myself in the deep end. And, um, then you just, you know, you're onto the, the Facebook groups and all that sort of stuff and you do the reading and then you hear whispers of this and then, yeah, it's quite exciting learning you know, all the dive locations and all the secrets, yeah. not, not necessarily secret spots, but you know, when you get those questions, somebody moves to Brisbane, where do I go diving? I just go, you know, you and I just roll your eyes. You know, you try not to hurt your neck with how hard you're rolling your eyes. And <laughs> then, but you know, it's obvious to you and I, but you forget, uh, it was, it was a great wake up call for me about how insular you can get diving in your own backyard. Yep. And that's, that's all you kind of, it, that it's fine to know that, but you don't learn too much about mm. other other styles of diving. And then I think there's different uh, subcultures too, you know, like, Oh, it's, you, it's, you, it's, you, it's fascinating that the different yeah. cultures of spearfishing around the world. Um, and not, I haven't done, you know, I haven't been to the state spearfishing, but I would love to get over there. It looks immense. And yeah, so here I just threw myself at whatever I could dive wise, got, you know, getting trains down to Brighton often. And I remember the last, when I was doing sparky work, I took, uh, a day off work because it'd been blowing offshore for about two weeks with very little wind and there was a neap tide and I thought it's going to be clear down there. It was November. So it was you know, 12 degrees or something in my five mil wetsuit was not ideal. And I remember I shot a, a couple nice place and I shot a, the, the benchmark here fish is, is a 10 pound bass. So I shot a, a 10 and a half pound bass and absolutely wow. freezing when I got out. And I remember, you know, dragging a bag, you know, a mile back up, uphill to the train station with, you know, blood leaking out the bottom and ice and that sort of stuff. And I left all my clothes on the beach and this sort of thing. And, you know, got back home and I thought, yeah, yeah I've shot a 10 pound bass. That wasn't too, too hard. You know, like seventh or eighth dive in the UK. And I've never shot one since. <laughs> uh, or a 10 pounder anyway, I've, I've come close, but yeah, it just, I just decided to, you know, this is where I am and I'm going to enjoy the new challenge and the new, the new species. And, and just just throw myself at it. And after I watched that, your I watched your recent vid, smashing mullet at the front of that Brighton. Yeah, Brighton again. Pier. Yeah, I, yeah, I, went, I, went I, down I really there enjoyed just, it. I was, I was like, I don't, I don't think you need tropical, clean, warm water to have a great time spearfishing and understand what the lifestyle of it's all about. I think, you know, 
we're just about wherever you can go, you can spare. And I mean, there's still the joy of catching, preparing your own food and then serving it up, trying different things, experimenting. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's that sort of culture that gets put out there in spearfishing is, you know, if it's not a dog tooth tuna or if it's not super clean, warm water with tropical fish where you basically just throw a spear gun over the side of the boat and it'll hit something edible that, you know, if, if it's not that, it's not good. I have heaps of people telling me, why, you know, why'd you leave Brisbane? Come back to Australia, mate. And I'm just like, well, you know, I like it here. Uh, I've got, I don't have any sharks to deal with, which is really great. And this is uh, after diving a few different, different places and, and, you know, I dived, um, I've dived in Norway, Denmark, uh, Finland. Uh, so like uh, most of the Nordic countries, you can't spear in, in Sweden. Uh, I've dived in, you also can't spear in Iceland, but I've dived there as well. Um, I've dived a few, a, a handful of Mediterranean countries, um, most of the, U, a fair bit of the UK. And yeah, I just. Th- this it's accessible, sort of, isn't it? It's super Sorry. accessible. All of those countries are super accessible. Yeah, from there, aren't they? they are. They're really accessible. Um, a lot of it was for work, actually. I was going to Denmark a lot for a working at a, t- taking photos and videos at a data center for a large tech giant that can't be named for NDA reasons, but a large tech giant. They have data centers. They're everywhere. They build them in cool places because it's cheap on air conditioning to keep all their servers cool. So I was going to Denmark a lot. Um, but actually when the first time I went to Denmark in 2017, I saw a competition advertised on Facebook and I thought, oh, that looks good. Go to Copenhagen. I'm like, I like Copenhagen. It's a beautiful city, great food, fairly on the expensive side if you want to have a good time out there. And so I went to this competition um, and my mate from Finland that I'd, I'd met a couple of years prior in Australia that my mate Bryson met in Peru sort of thing. You know, there's a very loose connection that happens with spearfishing circles. Yeah. Somebody knows somebody that knows somebody like, Hey, let's go diving. That, and that happened. So we got in a, I went over and did this, uh, Odyssey Scorpena cup and, uh, our team ended up winning the team's event and I shot all my fish in the last 20 minutes and then so ended up winning the competition, which was just insane. That's um, crazy. And yeah, I just, and then I just thought, this is this is great. Like, I'm in six meters of water, seeing cod from the surface, seven kilos, and I'm just snotting them. I thought, even though the water's six degrees and my face feels like it's on fire, this is awesome. <laughs> I just love that it's something different. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I just thought, you know, anywhere that you can dive, you should dive. And uh, I would encourage anybody that sort of gets discouraged and, you see it often with people from Sydney, they go, oh, I live in Sydney, there's nothing to shoot and that sort of thing. But I think you just, it's its that constant case of um, comparison as the thief of all joy. As soon as you see somebody yeah. else doing something, it, it ruins your day. Um, yeah, and, and I think we've talked about this before, maybe in private or on the podcast before, but where people, you know, you, you see the Facebook photos that come out over the weekend, you're super stoked on your personal best 10 kilo Spanish mackerel. And then somebody goes out and shoots a, 35 kilo wahoo off Brisbane as well. And then suddenly you think that you haven't shot anything good. And the only and reason I still that you- I still haven't shot a wahoo. I live in Brisbane. <laughs> have you Have you not landed a wahoo or just not shot one? I haven't even shot one. I haven't even shot oh, wow. at one. Uh, last last dive actually, I started seeing, I saw um, maybe four or five wahoo. Definitely four, maybe five. But um, yeah, just didn't didn't get close to them. Not a chance. Um, I think I, I probably lost did 15, all fifteen wahoo before I landed one. I think you got to, you know, you, like it's like 
you start to see a fish and then you can identify it. You, you start to understand its body language and stuff. And then you start to figure out, okay, what's, what's my response? What do I need to do to get within range of shooting that thing? And for me, like I was watching them, I was saying, ah, I need a, I need a throw flasher here. Um, just something to get it, them to turn around because they, they just cruised off and there was yeah. no, I can't do anything. So sometimes and, uh, they want to come in, sometimes they don't. They're, they're kind of a bit of a funny fish sometimes. Um, sometimes they can be very easy to shoot and, and other times not. Um, I used to have a lot of trouble keeping them on the spear once I'd shot them. And I, I tried, all, I, I started going after them with prangers at one stage um, on a 1.3 to try and shoot them in the head, but um, never was quite successful at, at getting a spear into one. Um, and in the end, um, I think it was Bryson that said to me, just shoot it in the, in the head. And so I thought, stuff it. Next one I see, I'm just because because I was shooting the mid body like a mackerel, and then you hear all those stories, you know, that you shoot it down the back and it slows them down and it's easy to land them, blah blah blah. I could never get keep one on the spear, so I just sconed one right in the face, and um, yeah, got it, and it was great. And then I shot another one uh, the next drift, and I thought, brilliant. What yeah. about just shoot him in the face? <laughs> get the monkey off your back, yeah, right. Yeah. Eh? Cool. Um, right. I, I think, yeah, a lot of it's mentally mental sort of thing with those wahoo also in tonga i was there in 2015 i've got a, a highlights reel of me missing wahoo about 10 of them because i was just so excited to get a wahoo because i hadn't because mm. they they were potentially 40 50 kilo fish oh um, but, I, but uh, they were slobs but i just i just stuffed every single one of them up and never ended up landing one or 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 anything in in tonga but um yeah wow. i know what you mean sometimes you can get a little bit too excited and you <gasps> and um yeah, for for me, like some of the travel spearfishing I've done, and you've done way more than I have. It's great to get out of your own lunchbox and do something different. I think even though you you might be quite experienced at spearfishing, it's really humbling going to another oh, environment. If you, if, you wanna, like, if you want to, eat, if you have a taste for humble pie, go to the Mediterranean, <laughs> and yeah? it, it is there in spades. Um, most difficult place I've ever tried to fish in my life. It's it's unbelievable. Um, skunk it, City. That, it's what? Sorry. Skunk city. Skunk you just city. Skunk, you get, get skunked all the time, you know, like it's nothing. I think I maybe I picked that up from an American uh, guest or something, but yeah, I like the saying. Well, you get nothing, you get skunked, you know, like. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. You mm. get um, no dice. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing place to dive. And yeah, you all, I always learn something every time I go there. And that, that's what I love about going to all these different places. And I'd encourage anybody to. Um, if they have the opportunity or the means to, you know, go dive somewhere else, even if it's within your own country or, you know, up and down your state or just, just go somewhere else because you learn so many things. And a lot of those um, skills and things you learn are translatable and they, and they, and they move to different areas. Um, like for, for a big one for me, it was learning how to not freeze in, in cold water. And it's easy to say, just get a thicker wetsuit, but there's a lot of other things you can do, you know, to, to oh, keep I remember. warm. I remember that video you did, like you, you like you were, <laughs> done a video on everything. Um, yeah, you did a couple of videos on it, like wearing the shorts over top. That was memorable for me because, like, I was travelling down to South Australia for some freediving courses, and I was worried about freezing in a five mil. I actually ended up being toasty warm, um, but that helps when you've got a couple of extra layers, I guess. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of internal insulation. You know what fair, I'm saying? Fair. I'm, um, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, but. Um, I tell you what, the the piss doesn't go anywhere when you <laughs> when you're in a oh. big thick suit in the cold. It's like, and that's when you start thinking, oh, I need a pissette. I, I've yeah, got to get piss, one. Like pissettes are just uh, they're god tier. They are unbelievable. Yeah. They are so good. <laughs> I would never 
order a suit or wear a suit without one if I could help it. Um, yeah, just you don't you don't stink. Your wetsuits don't stink. I don't know if you, mm. you, you know some wetsuits they just got that funk about them when yeah. they're a couple of years old. They don't get the funk. Um, I've had you know what a suit here a seven mil jacket that I've had for five years, and it doesn't have the funk because I've used a pissette with it most of the time. Which is- I'm into it. I haven't got a wetsuit with one fitted yet, but and but I, I like the idea of like a Velcro thing where you just pull out and yeah, the awkward, it's, it's, it's weird. Not, re- not really an the, option when the water's six degrees, though. Um, uh, like, the awkward, because- weird hanging things—they just they—they're weird. They, they are. They yeah. just. But yeah, yeah uh, for anyone that's listening and doesn't know what a pissette is, imagine a neoprene condom that's crossed with a scupper at the back of a self-draining deck boat. So the, the end is sewn in such a way that it lays flat and stops the water coming back in. And But you can, you know, you stick the old fella in there and, and let rip as needed. But I, I love them. Um, but not for everybody. I understand that. No, I think, well, yeah, I don't know. In the warm water, it's like most of the time if you're just wearing um, high-waisted pants, you can just pull down and away you go. But I don't have still time that, for that though. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. Swimming, I'm, I'm hunting. Well, like I, I, warm water. Uh, it was 28 degrees in Greece the other day. The yeah, water on yeah. the surface, and so I, I'd sewn a three mil. I'd sewn a pissette on my three mil pants um, a couple of years ago, and I was just using a, th- a old, very old three mil suit there, and it was still very warm. But yeah, just having that pissette and not. I just think it's even worse when it's hot because it's sort of yeah. It steams around, you know, you're sweating a bit and it's, yeah, you just it's smell awful. All, all sorts of nasty. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I, I, um, I hate it these days. And, and you can't be bothered undoing your, um, um, what do you call it, your clips underneath on your suit, what do you call it? Well, you gotta, you got to undo your clip and then you got to move, slide your weight belt up around your ribs so you can yeah, fold, yeah. fold the thing up and then you got to pull yeah. it back down and then you get cold water, colder water, which is yep. a bit of a shock, and then you're sort of floating around the surface like a bit of a, you know, you're splashing wow. around. You're splashing around. You could be drifting off. You could be missing fish. So I just think, not watching your buddy. Yeah, all that shit. Yeah. All, all all that stuff. So yeah, I would say the piss out. I don't know if there's really a good option for the ladies. Um, not yet. yet. But there's some things um, in development. I know a few people doing some stuff. So that actually, I think um, the the soul the the speech. The salt Renee? sisters, Renee. Renee yes, from that, salt that's sisters. Her, her yeah. Podcast. She was talking about some sort of. Um, yep. wetsuit thing for no, female I know urination. someone else working on it too. So um, the ladies have got good things in store. I think with the increase in uh, interest from, you know, the female segment, I think uh, the innovation, demand will drive innovation. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention. I think when enough people have the same problem, then mm. people find solutions, you know. Um, yeah. And there are, yeah. a lot, there are a lot more um, women getting into the sport in, in this year's nationals for the, for the UK, they, they've had some uh, female entrants for the first time in a very long time, I believe. And even at world championships for the last two world championships, they've had female uh, categories, which is great to see as well as the Euro, Euro African championships as well. So mm. yeah, it's, yeah, they're doing well. It's great to see. Um, where were we? Um, in terms Di- of the diving percent. in different places and, and learning things. Oh, pissettes back, back to, to the, percents. back to the penis um, chat. Have you created a video about how to to sew it in, or um, how did you learn? What did you do? Um, yeah. I put my wetsuit pants on, um, and you kind of just walk around in them for a little bit, so you know where they settle. Because you know when you put wetsuit pants on straight away, they normally sag a move. little bit. Yeah, they move a bit, and then you just kind of 
go to the top of your pelvic bone and then get a marker and just feel around for where the and then base of, did, base of the oh, shaft is really. And then I understand you just pretty much cut a leg off another pair of wetsuit pants <laughs> and so, sewed that straight on as your set. Not in the slightest. Um, <laughs> I, I just got the, the, the thumb off a, off a small set of Cressy gloves and used that. Um, that was probably, even then I still don't touch the sides. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think um, I don't. I don't know too much about sizing, but look. Did you I buy? Think, did Did you buy an aftermarket like? I, you I did. Buy I, kits, I, oh, I got. I got my, my uh, Polo Sub sent me one because they, they they put them on my suits, and then I just asked Giuliano if he could just send me a P tube um, to, to put yep. on my retrofit, and it was very easy. You just sort of sit it on, stitch it, and glue it, and then on the inside you put a small like one millimeter or two millimeter piece of um, smooth skin neoprene. You can sort of shimmy it round to create a nice sort of um i'll have to take some photos but basically it just sort of, <laughs> um, sounds, yeah, i'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying like a nice that. entry i mean just it's, it's a nice seam that covers it because it's quite an awkward angle for the neoprene to be joining at uh, at a right yeah. angle um if you know anything about manufacturing wetsuits you want to avoid yeah. sh- sharp angles for gluing and that sort of stuff so yeah it's yeah. just a, a bit of reinforcement but yeah i would highly recommend the p-tube yeah yeah um for for, uh, for a multitude of reasons I want some, but I just want to send my wetsuits away and get someone else to do it. Um, because I'm, I just, I'm sure there's somebody can, that's listening to this that would love to fit a P-tube and find, this, find the correct position for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. When you're starting to spearfish, there are a number of obstacles and some of them are financial. Doing a freediving course is something that I've always recommended on this podcast. If you can do a freediving course with a Spiro, even better. But some of us can't even afford that. I've got good news for you today. You can do a freediving safety course for free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. This course is brought to you by Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. He's got a passion for helping Spiros to die safer, smarter, and have more fun as well. This freediving safety course is practical, and it's free. Check it out at freedivingsafety.com or go to noobspiro.com forward slash Ted and you'll find it there as well. Again, it's a free course just teaching you the basics of freedive spearfishing safety. Check it out, noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of killing dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust. Fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Um, love, great, awkward conversation. Thanks, Dan. Um, I, I, I'm serious about getting them sewn into my wetsuits too. I need to probably settle in on a consistent brand of wetsuits too, but I'm I'm a bit of a whore like with wetsuits. I just, whatever. Like I'm not even fussy. I, I, I think wetsuits in general these days like a – Pretty amazing. The amount of variety we've got on the market, the the quality, the, the like the level of warmth they afford uh, combined with great flexibility. 
Like they're nothing like wetsuits from twenty years ago, and I think yeah, yeah. There's just some awesome shit on the market. I I like the look of the polo sub. I like the custom custom look. I still I disagreed with your um, smooth skin video because I'll wreck them. I'll wreck them within two days. I think yeah, I'm nowhere near I, as careful yeah. as you. It's 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 just necessity for me for for a smooth skin, particularly here because I wear a seven mil jacket for a fair mm. bit of the year, most of the year, um, except for summer and. Having that extra layer of lining on the outside is just—it just makes this the suit that much stiffer. So I would rather be a little bit more careful. But even the Forza Trade, the 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 sandwich material ones, I've never ripped through the smooth skin part. I've obviously put nicks in it and cuts in it, like like you, but I've never gone straight straight through one side. Definitely on smooth skin. Yeah, I I, I have ripped them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually with them. Um, Juliana, the guy that makes my wetsuits, I was in in um, Tuscany with him when we were diving in winter, like January 2020, actually pre-pandemic, and last day, and I put my suit on, and they used all the lube up in the in the in the shower because we put our suits on in the shower because it's freezing outside. There's frost on the yeah, boat, makes sort of sense. Thing. Italy gets cold, FYI, for people that don't know. Um, well, they have the out, obviously, but anyway, some people don't think it doesn't get cold there, and. Yeah, I, I just I just put a massive rip through the side. I'm like, this guy's the guy that makes my wetsuits. He's my wetsuit sponsor, and I've just r- done the most rookie thing and, and ripped a smooth skin suit next to him. And he's just you know hand hands in head, just like, what have you done? But lucky I had a um, a spare nine and a half mil jacket with me just in case. Oh wow! So, so I wore wow. that the, the the old the old three eighth inch for those on the imperial system that are clearly wrong. <laughs> I, I, I hate, that I, stuff I hate all the imperial the system. I don't know why people yeah. in America still use the imperial system. I've talked to a few Americans. I've I've come to some sort of agreement. Like like organization should be spelled with a Z. We'll do that. We'll make that change if you guys come to metric, and then uh, we'll all be winning. You know what I mean? Like we'll have the correct phonemes according to spelling, and you guys will have the 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 better way to measure stuff. See, the the only thing is. There's only one Eng- There's only one right English, and that's British English, because nah. it is English. Now the Americans made some improvements on it. Like they, well, they, they actually have, did. They've made some absolute disasters. And they have. Th- this they this have. is my point. Laser is an acronym, so you can't change the S for a Z because it's light ampli- light amplification through the stimulation of emitted radiation. So when Americans spell it with a Z, it's it's just completely wrong. It's an acronym. You can't just change it to a Z. So that, that's, yeah, that's, but my, that's my biggest the, gripe. With, with from grammar. the point of view of an English teacher, right? I'm teaching Chinese kids how to, how to um, they go, but spelling says S. And I'm like, yeah, look, this is what we do. We just, sometimes it makes a Z sound, sometimes it makes a sound, you know, and these poor, poor buggers trying to learn English. It's a disaster of a language. It, it, is, it is a terrible language. And, and there's just so many different words for the exact same thing, which, is just infuriating. <laughs> but anyway, talking yes. about language and yes. the beauty of language and also the beauty of pictures, we're going to talk about cooking. Um, 99 spare <laughs> how recipes. Did you, how, did you, how did you segue from That's language to, bit, to this, pictures to this cooking? Me. Look, if, after if, we, if, we, if you want a better segue, um, yes, traveling around to different nations and experiencing <laughs> their spearfishing culture and their culinary skills has been eye-opening and I would encourage anybody that travels to taste and sample local food because it opens your eyes to what other people do and what you think is 
crappy in your country might be great in somebody else's country. For instance, you're probably going to vomit now, but I've, I've had mullet carpaccio and it was delicious. Yeah. I had mullet carpaccio. I sh uh, we shot it in Tuscany and Giuliano cooked a mullet risotto and some carpaccio. And uh, we well, didn't cook the carpaccio, obviously, um, at his, at his little gaff in, in Rome, in, in, in South Rome. And it was just a nice little time. Is it carpaccio or is it carpaccio? I think it's carpaccio. Um, depends. I like to butcher how, it anyway. It doesn't really matter. I was just, yeah. Depends how much pontificating you want to be doing. 99 Spare Recipes. You've submitted four recipes. I've got a salt-baked sea bass, a chorizo stuffed squid, crispy skin fish with salsa verde, and a, a spider crab linguine. Four yes. fantastic submissions. Um, some beautiful photography, Daniel. You, uh, you love your cooking as much as you love your spearing, I reckon. Well, if, there's no point in going spearing if you're not going to eat it. <laughs> mm -mm. But I think um, you need an experimental mindset, like whether you're getting better at spearfishing or you're getting better at cooking. Cooking. Like you need yeah. to you need to sort of be prepared to fail. And I've had some fails big time on 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 the cooking cooking no. for, for fish as well. No. Absolutely, yeah. Have I've, you made a video like and left it in there? Because I would love to watch that. I would be pissed. Myself. I had a um, a Chinese style sweet and sour dogfish recipe. Um, I realised how that may come across that I was doing a Chinese style one for a dogfish recipe, but I mean no <laughs> no <laughs> racial insensitivity to that. Um, and um, and just as an <laughs> aside, uh, I learned that the, the Chinese dog eating thing, um, in particular cities in the far north where it gets absolutely freezing cold, um, there was this um, sort of like urban legend that um, dog was good to eat to boost your immune system prior to winter. And that just sort of lasted for a while in some of these um, smaller cities. But if you talk to Chinese people from most of the urban centres, they will adamantly, uh, you know, be against that. So, but Fair anyway, enough. I digress. Um, we, we digress. Sorry. Uh, yes, I made a Chinese-style uh, sweet and sour dogfish recipe, and it just looked horrendous. It tasted all right, and I just couldn't bring myself to make a video about um, shooting a dogfish. And, and they are good to eat, but they're a little, um, you know, they, they're quite easy to shoot. And But then again, I, I've argued many a times that how hard something is to shoot isn't a measure of if you shoot it or not, because, you know, you can get a really dumb Spanish mackerel. You can get a dumb kingfish. I mean, a kingfish can be is easy, even easier to shoot than a rock because it swims up to you. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I digress. Uh, yeah, so I have made some recipes that kind of sucked. It looked terrible. It looked like a dog spread. It look, literally looked like dog food um, on some noodles. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> and I haven't really done it since. Um, I've tried, uh, I've tried some other things, but yeah, well, like even that, uh, you know, uh, salt baked sea bass. I've done that probably like seven, eight, nine times o over the last couple of years. And each time I just get a little bit more refined on, on how to do it yep. and, and learn something different. Uh, the, the squid recipe I did off the fly because I shot a squid that was just under a kilo. And I thought I'd rather do something than salt and pepper squid because everybody does salt and pepper squid. You go to any pub here and it's salt and pepper squid. And I just, I don't know, you get a bit over that, you know, that deep fried yeah. sort of usual boring stuff. And that's what I like about fish. And uh, to paraphrase Josh Nyland, 
fish is the most diverse protein group out of everything. It has so many different flavors and tastes and textures and looks to it out of any other, you know, sort of a, a, a animal group really, and which, which is really cool. And as spearfishers, you have access to so many different species. And that's what I re- that's why I really got behind this book. And I, I thought this is awesome because I know that I've learned some of my favorite, you know, weekly dishes that I cook from going to, you know, hanging out with Giuliano and, you know, seeing what he does with, you know, a halibut. And, you know, I've had one time well, in, in Norway, he's cooked up this pasta that he's just made up on the fly and he's got, um, you know, scallops in it and he's got halibut row eggs running through the middle of it because, you know, one of the halibut we got had some eggs in it. So we thought, I'm not going to waste those, no way. And you cook the liver up as well. Like there's a liver that, you know, the size of my face uh, and, you know, we check no worms and that sort of stuff. And I just think that's such a really cool thing that you're never going to get exposure to if you're just sitting in Brisbane and you're just trying to shoot a mangrove jack, a parrot fish, a tusk fish, a Spanish mackerel, a kingfish in winter, and, you know, maybe the odd coronation trout and all you're going to do is just deep fry that or, or crumb it and stick it on a burger and yeah. say that everything else tastes like bum it's just it's just a crying shame uh, i i'm i'm ashamed at, at the the fish that i've turned my nose up or the fish that i've wasted not utilizing a lot of the fish or just yeah cooking things terribly and yeah, not everyone's a chef i, I get that but um yeah it's it's it, yeah I, I feel like josh nyland's book was like real eye-opening like because I think most of society feels like fish is really intimidating to cook and prepare. It's because it's most expensive. People, it's so expensive. Yeah, the last time I was yeah, in Australia, I saw red emperor fillets in, I think it, actually it was in 2017 when I went back, I saw red emperor fillets at, there's a posh um, market in, in James Street in Fortitude Valley. And I sort of mm. saw red emperor fillets for $65 a kilo. I thought, I'd rather eat a steak. Who is going to who is going to risk stuffing up sixty five dollars a kilo for fish and chips? Like you, you're not going to do it, and that's why people are terrified of it. I believe, and 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 the quality of it is may not be there. Um, but you know, you and I, we've you can make all the mistakes in the world because it's you know the cheapest free Abundant. seafood, the, the cheapest free seafood we're ever going to get. Um, yeah, the most expensive, the, the most expensive free seafood. Sorry. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I like yeah. that saying too. And, and I guess because we have an, an, an a, a available source of like fish all the time, we do have room and time to experiment. And I think, it, you know, experimenting means that there's going to be some failure. I think one thing for me with the whole fish cookbook was that he, like Josh introduced me to a whole new set of ideas. Hmm. Like he changed a lot of the way we look at fish, you know, like he says like, you know, if you take a cow and you cut that cow up into, you know, the 50 or 60 common cuts that come off it, we don't treat all of those cuts the same. No, And yet absolutely. with fish, a lot of the time, we just treat every fish as if it's the same, you know, like, but sometimes on, even on, on a single fish, like you'll have belly meat, you'll have shoulders, you know, and, and all of these cuts require different treatment mm. and you can use them more effectively if you utilize different techniques. And then the rest of the book went on and some of his recipes were just extremely intimidating. Oh, it, very and, intimidating. I, I went, um, I went balls to the wall and did the, sea trout wellington at easter this yeah. year and it was incredible. oh wow yeah it was really good okay um it, it wasn't that hard the, the hardest thing was comprehending how much ghee i just stuck into a pan to cook the mushrooms down for the the outer 
instead of having like the traditional sort of pate that you would put on the outside of a beef wellington uh, or the or sometimes people will use mushrooms but a lot of the time you get like a pork pate around it um they do this lentil and mushroom type thing but the ghee that was going into that was just heavy um tasted amazing yeah, wow. though um oh. but yeah like, it's think- great to see what what is possible and um yeah i would say it's a great book to have on the shelf but you're not going to cook everything in it it's just it's it's really nice to be inspired by I think with, with 99 Spirit Recipes, what I went for was like, I always felt like um, the whole fish cookbook was like a ladder and the mm. bottom two or three rungs were missing just to help us yeah. get out of our comfort zone and just get moving in, in the right direction. And I, I feel like, you know, so recipes, submissions like yours, just help people to just think outside the box and to try something different. Talk about the salt-baked sea bass. Um, I have seen this dish. I have yet to attempt it. Um what kind of fish is this suitable for and how to, and and how would someone approach it for the first time? I would say measure your oven first because if you can't fit it in the oven, it's very difficult to do. So I would okay. make sure you get an appropriate sized fish for the oven and, and a tray that you have. For that particular recipe, you'll be very proud of me. I went out and bought a fresh tray to do that recipe for the photos and it still doesn't look that good um, just because <laughs> – most oven trays look pretty, pretty bad. So normally what you do is you'd put some baking paper down there or alfoil down there just so you don't, you know, put rust spots on your, on your tray because there's a lot of salt on there and there's a lot of fish juice that were, uh, that might come out at the end. Um, yep. But I, I think the type of fish you want is something small to medium size, you know, sort of around two kilos max. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if you've got a large oven, sure, go for it. But it's it's just a, a simple way of keeping all the moisture in a fish because that is one of the complaints with a lot of fish is it's easy to dry out because you can overcook fish very, very easily and it will dry out and it's not very pleasant, whereas the idea behind the salt bake is creating an entire uh, sarcophagus almost of salt around this fish and the salt is wet out with water and, and an egg white just to keep it a little bit more bonded. You, you technically don't need the egg white. I've done it without the egg white, but it just, it, it's a bit easier with the Makes egg white. Sense, yeah. And you just basically make a layer on the bottom of the tr- tray, put your fish on and then cover the thing on the top. If you want to add uh, herbs and stuff like that inside the gut cavity, you can to permeate through the fish, but it's just a nice way to get the, the marrow cooking out through the fish, all, all those good parts that come out of the bone. All meat tastes better off the bone, I think. Mm. Um, ribs, awesome. They, they're on the bone. All sorts of fish taste really good on the bone because you just get a lot more of that gelatinous cartilage stuff that comes out through through the frame. And it sort of just all keeps it all in there. And to top it off, it looks super impressive. And if you want to go super next tier when you serve it for somebody, just you know throw some uh, overproof spirit or brandy on the top and set it on fire. And it will, you know, you can come out flaming, and it's not going to affect the fish at all. It's just for for show. And then you just crack it open and peel away the salt, and it doesn't taste salty at all. But the main thing that you have to do is leave the scales on because they form an impermeable barrier moisture barrier so the the salt doesn't go through otherwise it'll go through uh, with osmosis if you scale it and then you'll have a very salty fish so recommend leaving the scales on all right cool yeah i like it so that recipe is one of the just one of the submissions that we got in 99 spare recipes i'm pretty excited and i uh, really appreciate all your help with the book dan uh, in terms of helping us go through and analyze some of the recipes. I think you might be recreating a couple too yet if you're up for it. Yes. Yes. I will. I will have to recreate some of them. Um, just, you know, for photography, just to get the styling um, as, as high quality as we can. Uh, what, what the other thing that I really like about it is 
when people come into spearfishing and, and they start spearfishing, if they're not from any other hunting background or, or a fishing background for that matter, if they're just going purely into spearfishing, like you say, you don't know what you don't know. And with the reels, you may not know what to do with it. And for a lot of people, they don't even know how to kill a fish properly, uh, let alone that you should put it on ice or any of these things. And I understand there's a great section at the start of the book, looking after your catch and that sort of thing. And that grassroots information, I think will be you know, invaluable to people that are just starting out. It's a great compliment to going side by side with 99 tips to get better at spearfishing because the better you get at spearfishing, you're going to get more fish and you're going to have to learn how to, how to cook them and all that sort of stuff as well. Cheers, bro. I'm super excited about it as well. I've had, yeah, I've had some really challenged people come on board. People like yourself, Harry Foster, you know, like some of the, some of the Spiro chefs have been absolutely unbelievable. Talking about that, James Sacker jumped on a podcast for me last week and he said, oh, James Sacker, there's a blast from the past. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I grew up with you and him in uh, Spearfishing Down Under magazine and IFSN. He was a regular And when he had that cover, he had like a 35 kilo mulloway or something ridiculous on the cover of SDM. And he used to write really cool shore diving articles for IFSN back in the day with, um, what's that geezer's name? Simon Latter. Simon Latter. Simon Latter, was it? Is that dodgy? Is that dodgy? No, dodgy's that scott somebody i think his name was dodgy and he he used to shoot a heap of big spotty mackerel as well yeah he really really going back there for them they used to have those really bright blue oma wetsuits the camo ones and he always wears wetsuit shorts um yes i I don't know how those guys wear wetsuit shorts on you know mid north coast new south wales but um, i guess if you're in and out like a rat out of an aqueduct you can just do it he did say say hello to nana arms for me was what he said Oh, well, hello, James. Actually, I think the only one time I did see James, I think I was having some trouble on the, the boat ramp at Tweed Heads. I think my mate, uh, I'd driven the boat on, but mate didn't put the handbrake on very hard at all on my Hilux, and the whole thing started sinking down to the boat ramp um, at, at Tweed, and I was oh, just panicking. And I, I, I believe there was a few um, posts on some some forums about my misfortune or on facebook um, the, word got, the word got around very quickly um did james take yeah, photos just, of you and chuck them up sorry did, did james stop you in oh, I, I think somebody just said oh hey did you have any trouble on the boat how, how'd you go diving today i'm like yeah fine and i think some people were pissing themselves laughing I th- it might have been james sacker or, or wayne anderson or somebody I, I don't know who it was that was um laughing at my misfortune <laughs> rightly so it was, it was pretty silly I think I got the lights out award at the at the Tweed Club that year for that <laughs> particular stunt. Uh, no, was look, we've all been there. We've yeah. all been there, nearly sinking boats and sinking boats and sinking cars, etc. Let's talk about YouTube. So um, we I mean, we talked a bit about people being critical of living in the UK over Australia. I yeah, I, I think you take spirit where, uh, with you wherever you go. Um, what videos have kind of resonated best with uh, with the community? Do you think, and um, which ones have surprised you? Like, yeah, in terms of how 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 much people have engaged. Ooh. I look on YouTube too, and I, 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 I like you get really really high engagement, and I feel like sometimes it's almost like YouTuber maybe curating their algorithm a bit to get away from hunting and fishing these days. Is that would that be fair? I don't know if it's hunting and fishing. I, 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 I've definitely noticed in the past sort of year that my YouTube channel hasn't really attracted that many views, but 
I possibly also put that down to pandemic and not being able to travel anywhere, which I think my channel was mostly based off or, or a lot of my highlight videos were, were videos that did well were me traveling somewhere and doing something, um, either going to Norway, shooting halibut, going to Norway, not shooting halibut, <laughs> um, dog tooth tuna and, and things like that. Um, and then I think there's this trend just particularly YouTube, uh, there's a trend towards shorter form video. People are less attentive. They don't want to watch something unless it's really sensationalized, which I totally get. That's, that's what people want to watch and that, that's what it'll prioritize. But I think a lot of, I think there's like these, these survival challenges at the moment is uh, so hot. And I think, um, you know, strict from back to basics, you know, did one just out of, uh, recently just out of, I guess, pressure that not pressure, but just like, that's, that's what the people want to see. So we'll do it. But, um, yeah, they, they all start the same. Hey, I'm on this Island in the middle of nowhere and yeah. I've got no food, but I've got a knife and I have to survive here for 24 hours solo. It's like, Oh man, I, I just get so bored. Um, I've watched a couple and I'm just, I know they all seem the same, but people probably say the same thing about my videos. It's like, oh yeah, Dan Man's just going out and shooting a bass in the UK where it's murky and turd and all that sort of stuff. I wonder if there are more nefarious things afoot, to be honest. I think um, yeah. YouTube are definitely uh, a platform a of, a, that have an ideological- A skullduggery, yeah, you think? Yep. And I think, I think, you know, like if when you become a bigger force and a force for good in the spearfishing world- I think all of a sudden you maybe stick your head up and become a target for fringe groups that would possibly report your videos. And um, YouTube's standards and guidelines have now changed as well with uh, with regards to um, seeing animals be killed in videos and things like that. So I'd imagine if you get a couple of strikes, people reporting your videos for what they perceive as like, um, you know, harmful videos where you're hurting animals – um, then, yeah. then that's probably is, enough for yeah. them to delist you or, or, or put you down the algorithm, particularly when you've got a big following like you have. But there's also other channels that do a lot of stuff, like, for instance, Deer Meat for Dinner. That guy did a full flesh out of an alligator, which is a very emotive animal for a lot of people. Mm. Not just because it's, you know, whether they're, uh, I believe where this particular YouTube channel was, you know, there in the Everglades, I think it's quite normal and commonplace to be eating alligator, which totally great, fine, cool, but it's quite a graphic video and, you know, 15 million views and this channel's got heaps and of stuff. So I'm not, I'm not sure if they're targeting hunting or, you know, maybe it's just people aren't interested in the, the UK spearfishing as much, but yeah, some of the, the videos that have attracted a lot of attention is just traveling, particularly the, the Norway videos and the halibut, because I guess at the end of the day, people do like seeing big fish, and the halibut are big fish. So that, 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 they're fun to make. I'm also, you know, going back in, in March, actually, I've got a trip planned. I think I've mentioned this on another podcast, uh, the Spear Factor one with, with Brett, that, oh, I'm going to Norway in March, you know, two years ago. I still haven't been to my March trip in Norway. So third time lucky. Um, yeah, that's going to be, that'll probably be in a, a pretty cool video um, temperature-wise and, and content-wise because, I looked up the average air temperature for March where we're going and it's two degrees Celsius and there's 10 days of that should be rain and 10 days of that should be snow and 10 days should be sunshine and the water is maximum five degrees Celsius. So <sighs> I'm cold thinking yeah. about it. But think of the photos with all the snow. It'll, it'll be a very monochromatic film. It'd be quite 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to just the challenge of being bloody cold and, and freezing and, and trying to dive and, and manage with all the, the thick wetsuits and the stuff. Um, I also think other videos people resonate with, particularly I was surprised about is a video I did to Malta. I went for my wedding anniversary a couple of years ago and I shot one Sargo, but the scenery was stunning and I did big hike at the end of it and got down to these abandoned salt baths and they're just kind of a, a, a cliff that's about you know, 10 meters high and somebody these you know in years gone by people have carved a set of steps down there it's the only way to get into the water and it looked awesome and i thought yeah i'm going to shoot something cool here for sure because it was so hard to get to and it just went straight down to about 80 meters wow um, it was yeah it was ridiculous i think i did a drop to like maybe 28 meters and i could just see i could look over the edge and i could just see another step of rock and then another step of rock and oh, then i looked up and I'm like, i can clearly see the surface so that's at least another 30 down that way if if not more so yeah i didn't shoot any fish there but i shot one fish and i made a 15 minute video and i think people really liked it because maybe that they go on a holiday as well and they go for a dive here and there and they might shoot one little fish and they may not be excited about it but i was just stoked to be somewhere different trying to shoot something different and yeah, i quite like that Hey Shrek, holy smokes, my big green friend. You guys have been smashing it over there. Every episode of the Noob Sparrow Podcast is full of actionable spearfishing info. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. We just released a massive issue of Women in Spearfishing, and we're ramping up for a holiday buyer's issue right now. It's exciting times, and I'm stoked that so many Noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at SpearingMagazine.com. Just wanted to say that Noobers can get an international subscription at SpearingMagazine.com. Also, they can check out our In The Face apparel or get a subscription to the greatest Spearing Magazine on the planet right here at SpearingMagazine.com. Shrek, love the Noob Spiro podcast. This is Jeremy from Spearing Magazine. Thank you, my friend. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Frenzel and Advanced Frenzel video or the Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. I think it comes through loud and clear in your in your, in your your videos. I love the storytelling aspect and I like the, the lifestyle component to it. Like I was talking with someone recently about um, the meat eater. Do you, do you watch meat eater on Netflix? I don't know. No, I, don't, I don't watch too much. Uh, telly and stuff to be honest I don't either but this series appeals to me season 10 just came out the guy that um, creates Meat Eater his name's Steve Rinella and he's um, he's got a great uh, attitude towards hunting and towards utilising all the animal telling the story showing the fails and um, really getting right into the full lifestyle of hunting rather than just you know the cameo reels of kill shots and stuff like that, and more some of the maybe the more traditional hunting media that people have seen in the past. Mm. And yeah. um, and yeah, to me, like your YouTube channel is the same thing. It, it tells the story of it as a whole rather than just um, romanticizing certain parts of it. You know, holding the fish up for the fish shots, and I mean they're they're all great things, but they're a very small part of what we do. You know, 
And um, your, channel, your channel gets a bit more of it. I'd like to see more of the awkward moments and fails. <laughs> there, there's there's lots of awkward, awkward yeah. moments and fails, especially when you go start a whole video with a cool introduction and, you know, put a lot of effort in and then you go out and you're blank and you think, <laughs> uh, it, it, it gets frustrating, but yeah, it's, it's fun nonetheless. And I, I still like just making videos because I like making videos about, about what I'm passionate about and for, from traveling to different places, like you, you're saying about utilizing the whole fish, very spoiled in Australia that most people on a reef trip, for instance, I'm not sure about that one that you just went on recently. And you, I, I'm not sure what podcast I was listening to. It might've been the... Taz yarns possibly. Yep, yep. And you, you were raving about, you know, the filleting service. I don't know if that was that podcast, but were they just filleting the fish and then frames go over or are people taking the wings? Are they taking cheeks? Are they doing all sorts of stuff? Like it's, um, we, it, were, it's, it's, we did a mix. We did whole fish. We did fillets. We did all the mm -hmm. wings. And then, um, but yeah, there was a mix. People were taking whole fish and everything, um, with bigger head structure and stuff. We were doing some stuff with that as well. But, um, and then we had yeah full cry back. Uh, vacuum pack set up and then ends and certainly not the certainly not the norm though is it as far as spear fishing trips when you when you normally go on the most people just knock the fillets off and go to bed well the first one i went on we did take vacuum pack machines but this time around like the system has become that much better like a lot of whole fish mm. going through wings are getting put in trays um everything's yeah. getting labeled and um we had people drying fillets this time before we vacuum packed them and then they're nice. getting blast frozen. It's like pretty much the best, best treatment you can have. And um, I mean, obviously we're using a lot of plastic, but it was just, uh, it's just one of those things. I think if you want to keep fish long-term, so. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting, I, I think it's a big shift toward, there's a, been a big shift in recent years towards utilizing more, more of the fish just, just as, as we become more aware of, you know, our actions and our consequences of what we do in the underwater world. And I've definitely noticed that in myself. And maybe that's because I'm not shooting as many fish, you know, in, in Australia, not uncommon to go off Brisbane. If you had a nice day, 30 kilos of fish, mm. two big pelagic fish, couple of reef fish, it's very easy to do. And oh, even two big reef fish. I've, I've shot two 10 kilo, 9.8 and 9.3, as somebody will remind me because I've never shot a 10 kilo black spot tusk fish. Yes, I haven't I know either. Timothy McDonald. <laughs> I've shot one 9.9, 9.5, 9.3. But, you know, there's 20 kilos of tusk fish there. And, and more than likely, all I did was just knock the fillets off and bury the frames or give them to the chooks or something like that. And I just, yeah, uh, here, I don't have that luxury of shooting that much fish. And even more so that I've seen in Mediterranean countries, I did a a five-day trip with my friend Giuliano, uh, the, the wetsuit guy from Polo Sub, and it was basically five days in a villa in an island called Ponza, which is near kind of where locals go holidaying in, in Rome sort of thing, one of the spots. And it was just amazing. We would go out spearfishing in the morning if you want to get up, and then people would just be lazing around, chatting, espresso, cigarette, etc. And then, you know, we'd go out for the afternoon session. The sun's not going down till nine o'clock, so you can dive till 9.30 or something like that. Oh, it's amazing. That. And you come back and you just cook everything that everybody's brought back. You got pasta and there's nothing left, you know, that it was all the guts, everything, um, you know, they cook the livers, they would do the, the row, everything that they possibly could, they would utilize on that fish. And I, I truly believe it's out of necessity, necessity because, I mean, if you just took the fillets off a, you know, a Dentex there or something like that and threw the frame away, you'd probably be killed. 
um, because it's just so hard to get fish there. And yeah, it's, it's probably if I, if I ever move back to Australia or when I do or live there again, it will be something that I'll have to constantly remind myself of is to try and utilize fish in, in a way, um, you know, it's a bit more sustainable. And I know that's very, you know, on, on brand word at the moment, but I, I have noticed it when I have gone back to Australia, the last time I dived there, 2019, something like that, I went to Morton. I think I shot two fish. I shot a coronation trout and a black spot tusk fish. And I was, I was more than content with just shooting that because, you know, you, you see parrots around, you shoot, see heaps of stuff that you can shoot and eat, but I just, I didn't really need it. And, you, you know, in five years ago or, or 10 years ago, I would have shot everything, um, you know, that, that I could, if it was good eating, I, I'd, I'd kill it. And yeah, maybe that's just one of those things about getting older and stuff, but yeah, I'd like to think it's, it's been the European influence about trying to utilize things and, and just be a bit more intentional about what you do with your catch. Ah, love it. Love it. And I think, yep, 99 Spare Recipes is all about that. Like, um, <laughs> Love the segue. Uh, when is it coming out? When can we expect it on the shelves? Can it be, will it be in the stocking stuffers this well, year? The, this episode, by the time this episode is live, that book will be up on Kickstarter. And uh, the Kickstarter campaign is planned to run from November 7 to December 7. And I'm hoping to ship March 2022. Well, that's um, quite a way off. So in time for Easter. Yeah, in time for Easter. Look, these, um, I am very, having made a few books now, I'm quite aware of the development cycle and you can make big promises and not deliver. Uh, if we get it to people faster, which I'll be aiming to do, that'll be fantastic. But I don't want to um, over-promise and under-deliver. Just like the book, I think it's 99 spare recipes, but there'll be more than 140 in there. And um, really? some big some big extra guides, you know, like uh, Caring for Your Catch. There's a guide to smoking fish. There's all sorts of cool and, and wonderful things to give people a, a, a gateway into some of these um, bigger cooking techniques. Like smoking fish is a game changer. It is a freaking game changer. Dry aging, another guide in there. It's a game changer. Um, you're making a stock out of the bones of a fish. Like, it, you know, some of these things are overlooked because, like you say, the resource is abundant. So, but it's no excuse really. Like we can uh, we can do better and, and, and it's more fun too when you use more of a fish. So... I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely better to use more of the fish. And like, I just thought then with the, the stock, um, that mullet capaccio that I had and the mullet risotto, the fillets were taken off and then the entire frame was boiled down to make the stock to feed the risotto rice. So the, the risotto, the risotto rice is absorbing that extra flavor, all that umami and Oh, well, look at gotta that. Get that. Gotta get that word in there. Yeah. Uh, all that umami, all, all those lovely flavors in, into the risotto that you're just not going to get out of a, a packet risotto. So it's, yeah, it's not just, um, it's, it's not just for, it's just not for effort. It, like it, there is a reason to do it. Like it, it is worthwhile. Like even, even, even cooking, um, pasta in, or sorry, pasta for the people over this side of the world. They'll slit my throat for saying pasta. Oh, really? Oh, you're eating the, you're eating the minister at the church. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pasta and tacos here in this country. Oh, wow. Um, tacos. Are you tacos. having tacos, Dan? Yes. Tacos. Yeah. Tacos and nachos as well. Not nachos, nachos. People, people think I'm taking the piss if I say nachos. They think I'm trying to sound posh. And then that's also, that's also another criticism I get on my YouTube channel is my language accent. or accent has changed. But as you know, living anywhere for a long time, you, as what do you say? You're a product of your five closest people that you, you work with or, yeah, or that you have five in your life. People, 
Yeah, you spend the most time with. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and it's just easier. Uh, I've lived here six years. Of of course, things are going to change, and I often get that comment on my YouTube channel. Oh, I had a, I had a brilliant one. I don't know so who it was from. Posh, Someone said, "Sounding more and more British." Dot dot dot. Sadly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it absolutely cracked me up. I just thought this guy, whoever this is, has really got a problem with the way I I say words. But I um. If people want to check out this book we're talking about, it's newspero.com forward slash 99 recipes, but also check out the Dan Man YouTube channel. If you're a Spiro and you haven't subscribed, then you're doing something wrong. I was just going to head on out with a, with a passing sort of thing. When I was in China teaching English, I used to teach the Chinese students how to speak Australian. And hmm. I said, there's two rules. The first rule to speaking Australian is that you need to start your engine before you start speaking. So, hey, how you going? And then the second rule is that there's no space between words. So how are you going literally becomes one word. Hey, how you going? And then I had these Chinese kids saying that back to me like in a, in a group. Oh, it was so good. Oh, dear. And I said, now you're you guys. Ba- you're, a, you're a bad man. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I couldn't teach them any Kiwi stuff because otherwise it would be derogatory to my own country of origins. So. Are you not so um, clued up on the Māori? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I was there to teach English, not Māori. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I have a little nephew Always. who's who's born in, in Auckland, uh, my sister's little boy. Um, yeah, it, it's quite cool how, how quickly they can pick it up when they're, they're taught from a young age. He can, he can speak a heap of different stuff. Um, it's quite cool. I wish I learned a different language it, uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, something other than English. But it is a useful, it's a useful language though. Everywhere I go, everybody speaks English. Um, unfortunately, I would love to, well, except France. When I go to France, they don't really want to speak English a lot of the time. <laughs> or or the, the worst is when, when, when you try and order something at a restaurant in French and then they just respond in English and you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the ultimate insult. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, Love that's the French. Where, that's the thing about France, isn't it? They, they, they know they've got the culture, they've got the history, they've got the landscape, they've got the snowy mountains, they've got the Alps, they've got the color, they've got the wine, they've got the food, they've got the sea, they've got the Mediterranean, they've got the Atlantic for the surf, they've got everything. But the problem is they know it. <laughs> Arrogance. It's not, it's not. Well, rightly so. It's a beautiful country. I love it. Oh, good, brother. Well, we'll, we'll head on out. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again for your involvement with this project and jumping on with me today. Awesome to chat real guns and all things Daniel Mann, YouTube spearfishing and world travels. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's always cool catching up with you, bro. Hopefully there's some more travels on, on the way um, for, for the next, next six months. Now things are opening up here for once in my life. Uh, well, not once, but it's, it's nice to be on this side of the world for a change, to be honest, with the whole COVID thing. It was bad at the start, but um, yeah, now it's now it's good. So hopefully you'll be able to get out and and travel some more. So you're you're very welcome if you ever want to cross off the UK as a spearfishing destination. I'll add it to the list, hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Way way down on the list. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Killshot Spear Guns. Ed Martin makes dependable, reliable, simple spear guns that you can rely on. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, but it's not just me saying it. Have a listen to what this bloke's got to say about it. Well, I just love Ed Martin's Killshot Spear Guns. They just shoot fish all day long. But it's not just the Americans saying it. He's even sold some spear guns in the UK. 
That's right, Shrek. I just love a kill shot spear gun. I've been shooting bass and all sorts of cod and pollock and God knows what down here in the lock and around and uh, this is the end of my accent. But uh, yeah, I love kill shot spear guns. Keep them coming, Ed. And uh, even the Australians are getting in on it. Ed makes a quality, reliable uh, platform. Have a listen to what um, Stu had to say when I got hold of him last time. Oh, gee, Shrek, I got on a bloody kill shot spear gun last time. I heard you gobbling on about him on the podcast. And I just got on, I wanted a reliable, uh, bloody uh, tough spear gun. So I got on kill shot. I saved, I used the code, the bloody uh, noob code there, the nooba. Add on killshotspearguns.com. Got myself an American bit of my, uh, timber spear gun. And jeepers, mate, this thing is shooting crocs. Oh, oh this it's so bloody good, mate. Uh, don't don't listen to me about the crocs, so it's illegal. But I do like to shoot the odd bearer. <laughs> Get onto them. Get into them. I'm out. See you, mate. You didn't just hear it from me. Buy American-made performance at killshotspearguns.com. Get $30 off any spear gun when you use the code NUBA on killshotspearguns.com. The struggle is real sometimes to find a spearing buddy. Imagine if there was an app that could connect you with other people that also were looking for a spearing buddy. Well, good news. It's like a Tinder for fishing. We've got the Fishing Trips app available on iOS or Android. Download the Fishing Trips app. Use the code NoobSpero in there as our referrer and find yourself a buddy, dive safer, and get your mates onto it too with the Fishing Trips app. So we have just finished a, a mammoth, uh, I think, hour and 20 or hour and 25-minute podcast. It's just pretty typical for me and Daniel's conversation, whether it's a podcast or not. But Daniel was just telling me about his experience with COVID and how it affected him uh, on a personal level, but also in terms of his spearing and breed eye fitness. Um, Dan, just tell us a bit of your story, like uh, dirty old UK Delta strain, was it? I think it was the the Delta strain for sure. That was what was going around in, in the summer here. And I got it at the very start of July. Um, I, I tested positive and those lateral flow tests, if you don't know if they working or not, when you've got COVID, that second line is really dense. It's it's there. Um, so I, I got that and isolated for 14 days. I'd been diving heaps earlier in the season. So my dive fitness was really good. I was actually going to go to Sardinia for the world championships um, representing GB. But with COVID, um, the NHS, National Health Service told me that I could test positive for up to 90 days with a PCR test. And at the time you needed a PCR test to go to Italy. So I just couldn't really risk the chance of it being six weeks away and not being able to, you know, get to get to the airport and not being able to fly, which would have been a disaster. So I pulled out, uh, which was regrettable because I really would have loved to have dived that competition and got the experience. Would have got my butt handed to me, but nonetheless, a great experience. But I went for my first dive maybe four or five days after my isolation and symptoms settled down, um, just like the the chest and, and, and the coughing and that sort of stuff. How long did it take to settle down? <sighs> Probably I felt okay maybe after day 12, but it wasn't a linear recovery for me at all. So, you know, I'd, I'd get the first three days. I felt like I had a man flu, as, yeah. as you'd describe it. I'd, yeah. I'd had one jab at the time and I'd had pretty 
you know, I'd say man manfully for a couple of days and then I'd feel okay for two days. And then I tried to do some exercise because yeah, you're housebound for 14 days. I did exercise on day six, just, you know, some, some squats and push-ups and that sort of thing floored me. I went to bed for about four hours after that. Just any sort of physical work was just crippling for me. Yeah, wow. And then the, the loss of taste and smell, which was very concerning because when you're locked in a house and you have no joy apart from to feed yourself, you can't taste anything. Literally beer tasted like I was, it just had the same sensation of drinking sparkling water. So I oh, wow. found the cheapest lager I could and um, further add insult to injury. Um, I wasn't allowed out of my house. Um, the the day, uh, the, my second last day of isolation was when the England was in the Euro Cup final. Um, we lost, but you know, that's okay. Uh, and so it was probably a good thing I wasn't at the pub celebrating. And my, my taste and, and smell was really affected. I couldn't taste or smell anything for about three weeks. Um, yeah, like kimchi, I don't know if you eat kimchi, mm, which is it. for people that don't love know, it. it's fermented Korean spicy cabbage. If you open this in one end of your house, you can smell it in the other instantly. It's very pungent. Open the lid of that, could not smell a thing. I could just eat that all day long and had no effect on taste and smell. Except and then the, after the, about a week after I was allowed out of isolation, I thought, oh, I'll go for a dive. And I went for a, quite an easy shore dive um, from what I would consider an easy shore dive, no more than six meters deep, this particular reef. And I, everything was just an effort. It was it was like I'd just come out of winter with, with no dive fitness, even a, I, I was very worried about not being able to hold my breath at all. But I think my first dive, maybe 40 seconds, which is probably on the lower end of what I normally do. Most of my dives are between normally a minute and you know minute and a half depending on what I'm doing and, and the depth. And it wasn't that I felt that struggle of, you know, sometimes if, if you've pushed it on a dive, you think, oh crap, I'm, I've pushed it on a dive. It wasn't that feeling. It was more of a, this is just an effort and it's, it doesn't come easy. I guess, um, I guess I'd say like, if you, I don't go to the gym, but I do push-ups fairly often. And, you know, sometimes when a push-up just really feels like a lot of effort and some yeah. days it feels Super, super easy. easy and everything just felt like an effort the swim and i came back in and i was just shattered i shot two fish shot my two bass which was great um but the next dive after that i think i did another one um i pulled out of that i was going to do the nationals um but my plan for that one was you know swimming four kilometers and i didn't think that would be a wise decision so i didn't do that one and yeah the next dive just same sort of thing and it, and it took quite a while probably i'd say two months before i began to feel comfortable and fit again. Um, you know, went for, I do, you know, I, I run occasionally, you know, maybe like once a week I'll do a five to seven or eight kilometer run. And even doing one of those just felt like an effort. It took me like two days to get over a run, my body sore and, and stuff like that. So I would not, um, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody that mm. gets it. And I would just say, if you do get it, you know, make sure you take it easy when, when you first go out, don't go trying to do a, a big dive, just, be cautious and yeah, look look after yourself. But on the contrary, other people um, I know, Kevin Daly, he's been on the podcast before. Um, we had a club meeting um, in end of July um, or start end of August or something like that. Uh, you know, I was starting to feel okay um, on my dives and uh, he ended up testing positive a, a couple of days after I'm not sure if he picked it up at the club meeting at the club weekend camping weekend, but mm. he had a similar sort of thing. Very non, um, you know, non-linear recovery. One day he was great, next day he wasn't. But his diving recovered. First dive he went out absolutely fine. He he, he dived. He had he had no problems at all. And he's um, a fair bit older. Well, he's I shouldn't say a fair bit older. He's he's about. 
10, 15 years older than me. So he, you know, he, he's in that sort of at risk, getting into the at risk category. So yeah, I, I guess it affects people in different ways. But for me personally, it was not good. I uh, didn't get to go to Sardinia and lost a, you know, two, two of the premier months of diving here. So I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it. I saw the recent post you had on uh, Instagram. So it's uh, long, late autumn swims with Kev Spiro on the south coast. I think you said you covered five five kilometres. So um, you look like you're buggered. He looked, yeah, he we, we, had a, we had a very romantic sunset swim out um, uh, last week, actually. Yeah, we, uh, we we swam out to this reef. It's probably about, I think it's 2.2 k's to the first spot. And then you, you drift and you come back and you end up doing a lot, lot of, lots of swimming. It's good for you. It's always always very daunting at the start of the swim, knowing that there's so much ahead of you. But once you get there and you start seeing fish and and and, and hunting, you sort of forget about that, and the swimming significantly easier. Oh, I'm the opposite. I love swimming out, and I'm like miles really? out, and then I go, oh shit, I've got to swim all the way back. That's when the leg cramp kicks in and all the rest of it. But <laughs> you, you don't uh, take water out and that sort of stuff. Uh to be honest, lately I've been taking Aqualite before I even go out. Uh, it's a product oh, that comes yeah, out like, of- oh, like a hydrolite type thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one comes out of WA and they sort of, it's made, well, they sell, I think, predominantly towards uh, like um, high physical labor sort of uh, work in, in in high temp, high humidity um, areas. And it's, um, it's bloody gold. Just like does stuff water can't do for you. And so that seems yeah. to tide me over pretty well, but- uh, I guess it's hard to stay in a decent state of uh, of fitness, to be honest, when you uh, work 12-hour days. So sometimes yeah. my dive fitness is a bit lacking, I'll be honest. So the, um, the big swims are It is a bit of a shock to the system when you suddenly just go out and do a two-kilometre swim on the weekend before, so about five days beforehand. I just um, did the last nationals competition. I did a pretty similar sort of maybe about four and a half Ks or something. I, I covered in the competition, maybe closer to five. I don't know. Um, and yeah, I was pretty shattered at the end of that as well, but not, I, I think you just do, you have one of those things. I, I guess it's like when you have a, I don't know if you ever have a period of time off running or doing any sort of exercise, say you have a month or two off it. The first time back is just brutal, but <laughs> it seems that your body just accepts it and catches up very quickly. Well, for me anyway, maybe that's just early thirties, but for, I'm, I'm happy with, <laughs> happy with, with that at the moment. And I also find on those long swims, because we're using a large inflatable sort of float, people people think that I should put a motor on the back of it, but it kind of looks like a, you know, a toy-sized um, Thundercat almost. Mm. And you swim on those and I can keep a GPS on that. I quite looking there, quite like looking at it and I have the GPS and I've got the mark in where I'm going and it's straight offshore. You don't really need a GPS. Oh, it's handy to have it. Um, but I just like watching it count down. I just, you know, 2.2, 2.1. And then when it gets under a kilometer, it's like 937 meters. And I find it quite therapeutic just watching the numbers go down and the clock yeah. going up. So it takes about 40 minutes to swim, to swim out to this, to this spot, 45 minutes, wow. which seems like a long, a long time, but ah, it yeah, sounds it's like fun. Sounds like a good day. I think that the physical adversity is part of the, the part of the experience. And um, when you develop that level of fitness and competence, like is a, it's a powerful feeling. It makes you feel makes you feel strong and good. I like it. Short shore diving is there is something about shore yeah. diving, shooting shooting a cool fish on shore diving. I remember the first time I shot a big cobia 
Uh, I think I may have told this story actually. I don't know if you ever remember a guy, Kurt Davis or Davies, Davis from Adreno back in maybe 15 years ago. Probably before Marine my Marine biology time. student. I was supposed to meet him at Kingscliff to go for a shore dive and I got there, bang on the dot, didn't know what his car looked like or anything, didn't see anyone around the car park, no one looked out on the breakers, couldn't see anyone. And then I called some people, said, do you want to come for a dive that I knew were down on the Gold Coast? And they said, no, we're all busy. I thought, stuff, I'll go out by myself. Anyway, I saw him out there and he said, oh, we just decided to go earlier because it was, um, you know, really nice conditions. And anyway, I think fate had its twist that we were swimming back between the third and second bombie and a massive school of cobia came past and I, I shot one and for some reason his trigger jammed up and he couldn't pull the trigger on any of the cobia that came through. So I oh, think that was okay. a little bit of, um, I don't know, a bit of karma coming back. Sorry, Kurt, <laughs> if you're listening, I appreciate you um, taking photos of me at the end of the day. And yeah, I, I maxed out, maxed out, maxed out 24 kilo scales. Oh, uh, so wow. I'll just call it a 20, 24 kilo cobia. And um, yeah, I thought on a shore dive, I just thought, I oh, it doesn't get better than this. Uh, I I am legend. Um, it does get better than that, but um, at, at the time in my career, it was amazing uh, to do that. And yeah, I've shot some cobia 15, 20 kilos afterwards out of a boat, and it just doesn't really have any of the same sort of feeling as doing it on a shore dive and towing that in on a little 11-liter Rob Allen torpedo float through the breakers, getting pulled backwards every time a wave pulls you out because there's a giant cobia as a sea anchor on the back. Yeah, 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 that's a lot of fish. Um, oh, good. So COVID now, though, fully recovered? I'd say fully recovered, yeah. I, I can, well, if I'm doing four or five kilometre swims, it's, it seems pretty good. Um, Depth-wise, uh, in Greece, deepest I dived was maybe 25, 26 metres, so so not not crazy deep, but certainly deep enough and didn't have any uncomfortability with that sort of thing. Breath hold was was fairly fairly good. As you'd expect in somebody coming from mostly diving in 12 to 15 degrees in a seven mil suit, suddenly going into a three mil suit in 27 degree water, it's kind of like going from Lego to Minecraft. <laughs> good analogy. Love it, Dan. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you've come, mate. As usual, a complete gentleman, Daniel Mann. Uh, thanks again for coming on the New Spirit Podcast. He'll be back again, I'm sure. Um, if you are not already, subscribe to Daniel Mann on YouTube. He makes absolutely awesome videos. In my opinion, he's one of the top spearfishing YouTubers on the planet. It's an absolute honor to get to chat with him and pick his brain about all sorts of different things and talk about, you know, controversial ideas like perhaps the, the you know, this YouTube algorithm change that we were talking about. Um, if you... We're here a couple of weeks ago for the Adreno Capricorn Bunker Trip Part 1. Then you're going to enjoy next week's episode. It's Adreno Capricorn Bunker Trip Part 2. We get to catch up with those guys that were talking about with apprehension about what they were going to encounter on the trip. In this one, we catch up with how their progress has been and dial in on what they've learned and discovered so far and, and get around. And I talk to a whole bunch of the rest of the crew as well. Um, again, come back in a week. Uh, as usual as well, check out 99 Spare Recipes. It's available on Kickstarter only for 30 days, guys. So get in, get yourself a hardcover copy. This is These are advanced copies that um, you're going to get them before anyone else. They, they will hopefully be uh, in my hands uh, in February next year, and they will hopefully be in your hands in March next year. But Kickstarter, it's a great way to fund uh, projects you love. 
Check it out at noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes or go to Kickstarter direct and type in 99 Spirit recipes. Um, all right, guys, I'm over now for today. Thanks for your support. Um, really excited about this Kickstarter campaign. If you can't tell, uh, go to noobspero.com forward slash 99 recipes. 99 recipes. I'm out. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is a one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. Adreno.com.au, the home of recipes, blogs, videos, equipment reviews, and an obnoxiously large range of spearfishing equipment for frothers like you. Not only that, but spearfishing trips and courses, courses and trips that I sometimes get to go on. Check them out at adreno.com.au. It's a Spiro's best friend. Check them out. And if you want to buy gear, pump in the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that online, in-store. Use the code NoobSpiro, save some cash, and support the NoobSpiro podcast. Shop with adreno.com.au. Manscaped is the best in below-the-waist grooming, designed, in fact, for groin grooming. No more awkward moments with pubes hanging out the side of your budgie smoke club. Anyway, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NOOBSPERO. One word, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code NOOBSPERO. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you and so will the girls that have to look at you in a pair of budgie smugglers.